know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Well, a very good morning. It's it's just a beautiful morning out there. And uh, the kind of weather we just really love to see. And great day to get out and do some gardening. And goodness knows there's so many things need to be done out there. Ah, we'll talk about that in a little while. I just, uh, you know, hate to keep people waiting, and it looks like Shirley, Gordon, and Clint are already on those phone lines, so we'll talk about my stuff later. We'll talk about your stuff right now. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. Uh, I'm calling about plants that we covered but didn't survive the freeze. And well, let, let's say the tops froze back. Tell me what they are. Are and uh, there, well, there may be some hope depending on what they are. <laughs> well, one of them is an old-fashioned amaryllis, and uh-huh. the leaves have frozen down mm-hmm. and are kind of mushy. Should I take those off? I see yeah. one green shoot coming up. Yeah, it just uh, uh, just slice them off. Uh, probably, you know, a sharp knife is going to work better than pruning shears on that. But um, I suspect. Uh, was this in a pot or was this in the ground? In the ground. Okay. Yeah, feel the bulb, but I, that almost certainly the plant's going to be just fine. It's just the top that froze, but uh, down in the ground, the ground stayed warm. The bulb should be fine. Uh, it should regrow. It might even bloom this spring for you. Great. And then the river fern. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it at all. It's perfectly normal for river fern to freeze back to the ground every winter. It usually does. Just cut it off as close to the ground as you can and do it soon because river fern will start putting on its spring growth and it's a lot easier to cut away that ugly old frozen growth before the pretty new stuff starts up. So uh, that'd be a real good project for you today. Okay. Sounds good. Now, bromeliad, I got a couple of Pot plants. Uh-huh. How much light can they take? Um, <clears throat> what do you know? What kind of bromeliad? No, I don't. Okay. It's okay. got the red spike up on it. Okay. Well, it could be. It's probably a goosemania of some sort. Um, it comes here's, from it florist shop. Yeah. Here, here's the story on a bromeliad. It kind of depends on how much effort you want to put into growing that plant and getting it to bloom again. The a bromeliad only blooms one time, and then it slowly dies, and as it does so, it makes new plants that come up around the base. You take care of them, and they will bloom in a couple of years. Um, while that plant is in bloom, is, is this one you got fairly recently? Uh, yes, it is. 
Okay, uh, it would love as much light as you can give it indoors, even direct sunlight in a window if you had it outside, morning sun, but afternoon shade. But the truth of the matter is that you can put that plant almost anywhere you like, that the flower is going to remain attractive, but just realize that once the flower's gone, it's going to be a couple of years, and you're going to you're going to have a lot of work growing it and keeping it going before it does again. So you you have to make up your mind how much effort you want to put into it, or maybe you have somebody who has a little more time and uh, wants to do such. When the bloom has started fading, when it's no longer pretty, give it to them. In the meantime, like I say, give it as much light as you can, but don't hesitate to put it in a dark place, at least for a while, because it won't set it back at all. The other interesting thing about bromeliads is the top of the plant doesn't get anything from the roots. They're not like other plants that take up water through the roots and take up nutrients through the roots. The roots support the roots. The top supports the top. So what you want to do is when you water, right where that spike comes out from the leaves on the plant, Pour just a little bit of water in there. Pour a little bit of fertilizer water in there periodically because there are specialized cells down at the base of the leaves called scales that are actually where the top of the plant gets its water and its nutrients. So water the water the soil periodically just to keep the roots healthy. But be sure to add a little bit to the top of the plant. Just set it in the sink. Run some water over it. And uh, that's what will keep it pretty for the longest possible time. That's very interesting. Okay, then I have another plant problem. Okay. A question. Sure. Uh, I don't know the real name of it, but we cause it the closet plant. Yeah, spathophyllum. Keep in the house. Yeah, spathophyllum yeah. is what uh, people, the proper does name. Does it need any sunlight at all, or you yes. just keep it? Yes. It, it will tolerate low-light conditions, but it's not happy in low-light conditions. It'll never bloom if you're not giving it enough light. And uh, it needs to be one way to tell if it's getting enough light. If it's drying out where it needs water every 10 days or so, then it's probably getting enough light. But spathophyllum actually is going to do best in a fairly bright spot in your home. If you're trying to grow it in a lower light spot, you know, give it some time in the bright light and then move it to the lower light spot because it tolerates it for a while at least, but it doesn't like it. Wonderful. I thank you for all of this good information. And enjoy Let me tell you, this pretty sunshiny day. Uh, well, you do the same. Let me tell you one more thing about the spathophyllum. Um, if you really want to have it in an area that doesn't get much light, what you do is get two of them. Leave one of them in the bright window and one of them in the dark spot. And once a week, religiously, whether it's every Monday, every Friday, pick a day of the week, switch them back and forth. Move the dark one to the bright spot, the bright one to the dark spot. If you will do that, they will both stay pretty indefinitely. But if you just leave one in the dark spot all the time, it's not going to last real long for you. Well, great. I will do that because I have some very pretty plants. So. <laughs> I bet you do, <laughs> and you enjoy this day as well. I appreciate your call this okay. morning. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, Gordon is next in line, then it'll be Clint. Good morning, Gordon. Good morning, Bob. What a beautiful day to be on this side of the soil looking at my daisies. As uh, as a friend of mine says, it's better to be seen than to be viewed. Right. <laughs> and yeah. and it is a, a beautiful day. I got a couple of questions. First, on a... A gnarly little weed that will ruin your day. Uh, 
I don't know what it is. I've, I've tried uh, weed whacking it. I've uh, rub hold it. Uh, they keep coming back. Uh, the 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 leaves on them are kind of greenish and it's got a little purple tint to them, and they're jagged edges, and they'll sting the heck out of you. Yeah. Uh, got an idea what that might be? It's a type of nettle, N-E-T-T-L-E. There are several different nettles out there, and they have little fuzzy hairs on them that have uh, something that really will bother your skin. And if you're really allergic to it, I mean, it'll make you swell up. It'll cause you all kinds of problems, and it's just the devil to get rid of. Um, how big are these plants? Well, uh, they. I got back out of town. They're about foot high right now. I'm going to get out there okay. and whack them down and grub hole around. I got them. There's some around my Mexican bird paradises. I'm going to trim them back. But uh, yeah, uh, well, cut down. On There's nothing that will really. I mean, you can use vinegar and orange oil, but it's a tough woody plant, and it'll take a lot of applications to kill it. Um, try to cut it off as far below ground level as you can. Um, if it's not too big a plant, actually the best thing to do is put on a pair of rubber gloves, dishwashing gloves or something like that, and do your best to pull it up. Get as much of the root system as you can. Sometimes they're so well established that's almost impossible to do. But cut it as far far below the surface of the ground as you can. Even grub hole on it? Yeah. Yeah, grub hole in it, you'll, you know, you can grub hole something right at the surface or you can really chop down deep. Uh, you're probably not going to mess up your Mexican bird of paradise. Those things have the gnarliest root system you've ever seen. So get that nettle as far below the surface of the ground as you can. Uh, the other thing you can do is take your hose and just wash the soil back away from the base of it and reach down with your snips and, you know, cut it off as deep down as you can. Eventually you'll kill it. All right. What about trimming on uh, Vitex, uh, Esperanzas, and... Mexican bird of paradise, a good time right now. Cut them all the way to cut your Mexican bird of paradise all the way to the ground. Um, the uh, Esperanza, it has frozen back, but it's real hard to tell how far back it's frozen. If you want to get the maximum size out of it, you'll wait until it starts to sprout because it'll start sprouting out little green shoots from the trunk at some point, and you can just assume that everything above that point is frozen and dead. It might be cut away. might as well cut it away. The other thing you can do, which is what I'd normally suggest doing, go ahead and cut it down to about three feet tall because you know the top part of it froze anyway, and then watch it. At least that'll make it you know, not quite so unsightly. And then if it comes out at the one-foot level, cut it down that low. If it comes out at the three Three foot level, all the better. It'll get a little bit bigger this summer, but uh, go ahead and uh, you know go ahead and cut it at least part way back just to make it look nicer and uh, understand that it may be frozen back either further than that. But the uh, Esperanza is going to come out. I, I it it didn't stay cold long enough to truly kill it, but it sure did freeze the top. Now your Vitex probably isn't hurt at all. Uh, if you need to limit the size, this is an okay time of year to do it. Vitex is one of the toughest, toughest, hardiest plants out there, but it can also try to take over, and uh, it gets to the point it's just downright ugly. So things that you well, I got, can... I, go ahead. I, I, I bought a couple of them from you a couple of years, quite a few years back, and I got them mm -hmm. where they're kind of like a shrub, a, a tall shrub, but, but not a yeah. tree, 
and yep. multi multi trunked and uh so i'll go ahead and trim them back man. All yeah right. just trim them as much as you need to you can trim your crepe myrtles right now too if they need trimming but uh your, your vitex you know it doesn't have to be trimmed at all but uh it's just like you don't ever have to get a haircut but you look a lot better if you get one every now and then that's kind of the way your vitex is all right, Bob. I appreciate you, and God bless the United States of America and Texas. Amen to that. Amen to that. Appreciate the call, Gordon, and we will certainly talk again. Uh, Clint, hang on just a second. Need to get a quick break in here, and then you will be up next. I get to talk about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, and as you know, that's one of my favorite subjects because I just hate to worry about an old shingle roof. And believe me, like everybody else, I had one on my former home, and uh let me tell you, I sure am glad that I have the Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof now because you just don't worry about weather. You don't worry about wind. You don't worry about rain. You don't worry about super cold or super hot. Your roof's going to take it just fine. And short of anything the size of a bowling ball, they even stand up to hail. We had uh, our Southwest Metal Roofing System roof here at Shades of Green. We got hail as big as baseballs. You can barely find a dimple in there. They are just the most durable roofs out there. They are very energy efficient. They will save you money on your utility bill every month. Most insurance companies will give you a discount on your homeowner's insurance. And best of all, they're very reasonably priced. Uh, you can, you, I think you'll absolutely be amazed and it will be the last roof you ever put on your home. And by the way, they do new construction too. If you're building a new home, do like we did with our groundwater office up in Bernie. Just tell the builder, hey, I want Southwest Metal Roofing Systems to do the roof and you can just forget about worrying about it. Lots of choices of styles and colors. You can learn more by just giving them a call. 210-822-6868 is 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, and let's go straight back to those phone lines. Clint is next, and then uh, it'll be Anthony. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How's it going? Oh, it's just rocking along in an absolutely gorgeous Sunday morning out there. Yeah, hopefully it'll dry up enough before I can cut some grass. <laughs> Now, don't be complaining about all the rain. You and I both have been begging for it for so long. It's uh, It may be an inconvenience, but uh, we're not. Let's just don't be, be encouraging it to dry up too fast. No no complaints here on the rain. Trust me. Amen. Amen on that one. When it comes to using Super Thrive, can you mix that up with like garlic tea or corn water tea at the same time, or is it best to separate sure. the two? No, it is no problem at all. It's basically, as you know, from smelling at a B vitamin product, and uh, nobody knows uh, the, the people that make it, uh, what all they put in there, but it should not react with anything. I, I wouldn't put it with anything really caustic like vinegar or things like that, but, uh, um, you know, compost tea, corn water tea, no, go right ahead and uh, add as much Super Thrive as you think is necessary. And how often uh, Super Thrive a plant is kind of limping along? Once a week, once a month? Um, is this something in a pot or in the ground? In the ground. Probably every couple of weeks. Um, you're not going to hurt anything, but they don't give that stuff away, and you don't you don't mix a lot of it in there. But uh, you could do it uh, every time you water if you want to, or every couple of weeks. Uh, it's going to benefit. 
with whatever you do. Just be sure, because so many problems relate to staying too wet, be sure that it's dried to the proper point before you use it again. And if the top of the plant, you know, if it's got green leaves on it, uh, you can also use it as a foliar spray, and it'll get into the plant even faster. Now, if leaves are brown, uh, you know, and you got nothing but brown bark, not going to do anything good at all. And I would always put some on the roots, regardless of what you do. But for a little bit faster effect, getting it into the plant, if the roots have been compromised in any way, it makes a great foliar spray, too. Good deal. That's all the questions I got. Appreciate the time. You get out and enjoy a good day, and uh, we're, I hate to say it, I'm already looking forward to the next rain. <laughs> Didn't get quite as much as you did this time around, but uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's a gorgeous Sunday morning out there, and hope you get to spend it outside. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Glenn. Take care. You too. All right, uh, Anthony's next in line. Good morning, sir. Uh, good morning, Bob. Good morning. I, uh, talked to, I talked with you yesterday about my grass. and Right. I went out there after we talked, and uh, the runners are still attached to the, to the ground. Okay. Uh, but I will tell you that I found I've been fighting an infestation in our neighborhood of these little small ants. They're almost the size of fire ants, but they're leaf cutters. And uh-huh. I found a whole thousands of them in my grass yesterday carrying little grass leaves. And mm-hmm. I, followed, I followed their trail, and I put, the only thing I've found that can work on these rascals is Ambrose Ant Block. And we've got them, I wish the city would help us here in Pleasanton fight these, because in my neighborhood, they're everywhere, and yeah. I'm the only one fighting them. And uh, they move over, and then they come back, I guess. I don't know how to fight those. Uh, they're not a big ant. They're about the size of a large fire ant. Right. I mean, they are everywhere. Well, beneficial nematodes will probably do better than just about anything else you can do to, uh, you know, anywhere that you see them, if you can find where their mound is. I don't know, not knowing exactly what they are, I'm not sure if they form the same underground chamber. They probably do because if they're carrying the leaves off, um, they may be, you know, doing like your regular cut ants and you're actually growing a fungus on the leaf. If they're carrying off dry leaves and things, maybe not. But if anywhere you can find the mound, um, work the whole area around there as much of the yard as you can with your beneficial nematodes, and that'll give you fairly good long-term control. Also, if you know where the mound is, and I would do this, you know, I'd wait a while after you put down your nematodes, but uh, orange oil and water is probably a better killer than uh, just about anything uh, that you can put out. I think you find it'll do even better than your Amdro products. Amdros are basically a bait. Uh, they are a toxic chemical, so use them very carefully. In fact, they've taken a lot of them off the market because they found that it was uh, a little too dangerous. But um, it's uh, try, try your beneficial nematodes. Try orange oil and water because... Um, those are things that the ant cannot build up a resistance to, and uh, they come in contact with it. The nematodes will actually move around, seek out the ant, seek out the queen if they're down in the colony, and that's the way you're going to wipe the whole colony out. How do you apply the orange oil and water? They make a mound almost like a gopher mound in places. Yeah, just mix it with water. Go ahead and mix, I'm going to say, about uh, two ounces to a gallon of water and just saturate that. Saturated as best you can. About two, uh, about two ounces, about four tablespoons, or two jiggers if you prefer, the way I like to think of it. And you just you just where you go where they're 
Now, the ones I fought yesterday, I put the Amgros around, they didn't have a mound. They're just kind of a flat, and they have a little bit of a dirt. They make these little balls of dirt on the top. Right. And, but, I mean, they've got trails. They'll have a dozen trails, and they're all coming at the same time. They've already stripped my crepe myrtle leaves. They yep. killed my neighbor's uh, citrus tree leaves. Uh, I'm just wondering if that's what – I just don't see – I can't see them throughout my whole yard. So I don't mm-hmm. think that's what's killed all my grass. I think it's something no, else. I'm not sure. And I, I, on your yard, I probably would do an application of whole ground cornmeal. Uh, it's not the cornmeal itself that does the job, but whole ground cornmeal grows a beneficial fungus called trichoderma, um, and it's it it will it will reduce even you know oak wilt. It's just one of the most incredible fungus fighters in the world. It'll take care of your t- toenail fungus if you ever get it, but uh, it will take care of both take all patch and brown patch. And um, I'm I'm not going to give up on having some of the grass come back. Uh, you know, as it does warm up a little bit more. But uh, if you go to feed store or something like that, it'll be pretty darn cheap. And uh, well, it's certainly... How much do you apply of the, car- the cornmeal? I've done that years ago. You had me do it, but I forgot how much to put it out. About 10 pounds per 1,000 square feet. 10 pounds per 1,000? Yes, sir. And also, I'm, I will tell you that I, since my Augustine has died back, I uh-huh. have this little, little fine bladed grass that almost looks like you planted wheat or something, and, and those dollar weeds and stuff, they're just, I've got weeds coming up everywhere now. Well, you can get out there with your vinegar and orange oil, as long as your good grass hasn't started putting on, uh, you know, new foliage. Vinegar and orange oil will work just like the toxic chemicals do, and uh, it'll kill that stuff in 24 hours. What brand of orange oil do you, do you recommend to mix with the water? I think Medina makes the best out there. In fact, they're one of the few that you'll really find, but... Uh, uh, Stuart literally searches the world over. I think he's currently getting most of it out of Brazil, and his is the purest and most uh, efficacious, if that's a good word, it's most effective that of any that I've found, and uh, he's got it in pints and quarts. We use it for a lot of different things. In fact, if you're ever up this way, we'll give you a handout of all the different things you can use orange oil for. It's uh, diluted down. It's the best counter cleaner. Uh, best floor cleaner in the world. You have to have to be careful if you've got your floors heavily waxed because it will strip the wax if you get it too strong. But there are a lot of different things that orange oil works. You can spray it on fruit trees, and it will actually go through the bark and kill borers underneath the bark. So very useful thing to have on the shelf of your uh, garden supplies. Well, you're talking about borers. I'm going to have another question for you, and I am going to come see you to get the uh to get your essentials, fertilizer, and then I'll get the orange oil. And I guess you have nematodes. Um, we are we get them on a weekly basis. Uh, they say they last in the refrigerator for a couple of months, but uh, we like having very fresh products, so we usually get a fresh supply once a week. Call before you come, just to be sure we're not waiting on. Well, the other question I have, real quick, and I know I've been on there a while, but I have sycamore trees, and they're mm-hmm. old trees. They're 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 not. The, uh, they've been here. I've been here 33 years, and they were already here. I, they're probably 50-year-old trees. Yeah. But on the backyard, I have one that's got up up about 15 feet or so. I have little holes in the side of the tree, and there's a black-looking sap that's coming out. Okay. And I don't have a clue what to do. Are the holes in a uh, almost a checkerboard pattern? No. Okay. Um, it's. I suspect. That it's a bird called a sapsucker. That uh, the I old. I've seen pro- the sapsucker. I've been watching. There, there has. 
I, I, I chased him off in a way that I'm not going to say uh, <laughs> uh, when I see him. I, I have a number of firearms, too, and they work pretty well. Some of them are quiet than others. But anyway, um, yeah, porcupines are my my big nemesis. Only things I shoot on site are porcupines and wild hogs. But uh, uh, sapsuckers are, sap are or anything like that, um, well, the sap can be caused by almost anything related to tree stress and a 50 year old sycamore last summer it got stressed i don't know you know how you would possibly give a tree like that enough water when we have the kind of drought we had sycamores as you know are a river tree they're a tree that grows along creeks and things and last summer was very hard on them and when you stress those trees they're going to have a number of issues that can cause them to ooze a little bit of sap uh, but you don't you don't there's no way to treat the symptoms best thing you can do is a little super thrive if you'd like and just uh uh, Mother Nature, certainly the past couple of weeks, has given us some thorough deep watering. But um, I, what you're looking at is just a stress-related problem. Uh, that sycamore is probably going to hang in there a while longer. But if we have a if we have a summer like we had last summer, you've definitely got to give it uh, uh, got to give it some supplemental water. I've, I've, that? What's that? How do I where all the holes are and that sap is coming out? It's just discoloring the whole tree. And how do I, is there anything I can put in the holes to help? Well, if there's no. a bore in there or something? No, it's it's not a bore. It's most likely a bacterial issue. And just taking away the stress that causes it will gradually cause that to stop. You'd, you know, drive yourself crazy going up a ladder trying to stop it. And uh, uh, it, nothing will stop it until you, you know, get at the cause of it. And that's just stress. Do Go to Howard Garrett's website, dirtdoctor.com, and do what he calls a sick tree treatment. That's going to be the very best thing you can do for that sycamore. And over time, it will stop the oozing. Now, we see this on mesquites probably more than we see it on sycamores. But it's going to ooze, it's going to drip, and there's not a darn thing you can do to stop that other than take away the stress, and the tree will eventually stop it on its own. Okay. Well, I appreciate that, Bob. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Well, it's my pleasure, and good luck on those uh, blasted little leaf cutters. Uh, have you tried the come-and-get-it bait? That's another one. Bait. Come and get it. Uh, it's a bait that is they make specifically for fire ants and harvester ants. Um, and I don't know if it will work on leaf cutters because the whole principle behind it is that it's put on a on a bait material that is attractive to the ants. Then they take it back to the mound and everybody dies, so to speak. Um, you well, I know might, I tried ortho and it didn't work at all. No. No, it it won't. But you you might try a little come and get it sometime. But in the meantime, try the nematodes and uh, try the orange oil drench, and both of those will limit them and eventually get rid of them. All right, sir. Thank you so much, and and have a great uh, Sunday. You you do the same, sir. Good to talk to you. Thank you. All right, got to get a break in here. We'll be back with more phone calls. By the way, lines are open. The number's two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I get to talk to you about Rhonda's Nature's Way, one of my favorite places. Lady and her staff that I I give a lot of credit to for me maintaining my my energy and good humor and everything else because they just have all sorts of natural solutions that will solve most of the problems that uh, you get, especially as you age a little bit. Our diets these days are not the best, and the quality of our food, unless you're growing your own, is just not what it once was. A few supplements are usually a very good idea. This crazy world we live in, I take an immune support, actually a couple 
couple of different ones that I get from Rhonda that, uh, well, it's just a, it's just an essential in cold and flu season and uh, COVID season and everything else. And uh, they just are so knowledgeable that Rhonda and all her staff can help you with just about any problem you may have. If it's allergies, some call Cedar X for Cedar Allergies, something called Seasonal Allergy Relief for the oak pollens and all those others. Oh, gosh, and so many other good things they do. Beamer light therapy, red light therapy, reflexology. The only problem with Rhonda's is you can't go today because they're always closed on Sundays and major holidays. But Monday through Saturday, if you want to feel better naturally, you go see my friends at Rhonda's Nature's Way. The store is uh, in the shopping center at the corner of I-10 and Callahan, kind of across the parking lot from Sprouts. Great people. You will live better naturally with help from Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. My next two callers are going to be Curtis and Teresa. Curtis got in first. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning, Bob. Um, morning, sir. I don't get a chance. I don't get a chance to listen to you very often, but I really do enjoy your show when I, I do get a chance. So I, I well, I appreciate that. I apologize if you've already answered a question like this, but um, in our backyard we have a lot of shade trees, uh, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't get much sunlight back there. And we had right. St. Augustine, and it kind of wiltered away over time. There wasn't much left, and. Then we had a contractor come in and do some work on the back side of the house, and all the equipment basically <laughs> trampled all that grass away. Yeah. And so all we've, all we've got left back there is dirt. So uh, we got a clean slate now. Um, mm-hmm. We'd prefer to put grass in there just because we like the green stuff, but we understand we may need to zeroscape because there's, like I said, just so much shade back there and not much sunlight. But I wanted to ask you what our best options are for a type of grass back there if there's not much sunlight. Okay, well, first of all, forget about xeriscape because there are very few xeriscape plants that will do in the shade. Most of the okay. things that are xeric in nature are plants that grow in very bright, <laughs> very dry areas. So um, you, there are other choices. Uh, some St. Augustines are more shade tolerant than others. The two best ones out there for shade tolerance, one of them is called Palmetto, the other is called Delmar. And if any grass will grow, it would be one of those two. If it's a very big area, I probably would get a little bit of one or the other and plant it and see how it does. Because, like I say, there are uh, there are times that it's just too shady, even for the best of the shade-loving St. Augustines. Um, and if that's the case, uh, you, you, there are ground covers that will do in in you know deeper shade. Asiatic jasmine is one of them. Unfortunately, you know, it doesn't stand up to foot traffic. You'll need to put some uh, flagstones or stepping stones or something through there. But even though it's slow to get established, it's probably the lowest maintenance thing you could do. Uh, dwarf monkey grass, dwarf ophiopogon, pogon, dark green, looks like a very dense grass, but uh, it's actually in the lily family. But it will make a, a good ground cover. It's a little slow to grow and spread, but it is extremely durable. Once again, though, it doesn't stand up to heavy foot traffic, so you'd probably need to either put some flagstones or create some paths. I mean, you can do a path here and there with uh, mulch. Um, if it's, uh, you know, you need something a little bit more durable, you could use something like decayed granite. If you use decayed granite, I would probably use a bonding agent, uh, 
Uh, there are things that are like a liquid polymer that kind of holds it in place. Doesn't look bad, but my biggest objection to uh, to decayed granite walkways is that you track it in on your feet, and then you <laughs> then your wife gets mad at you because it'll mess up the finish on your floors. But uh, if if you want grass, either Palmetto or Del Mar St. Augustine are going to be the most shade tolerant grass. In fact, the only real shade tolerant grass you could uh, plant out there. Uh, I guess one other thing I would mention: there are a couple of plants that kind of look like grass. They're actually in a genus called Carex, C-A-R-E-X, uh, and they call them sedges. Uh, you know, you walk around my ranch under dense tree cover. The only thing you see on the ground is something they call cedar sedge, and uh, it, you know, it it will tolerate the shade, and it kind of looks like grass, but uh, it's not like having a lawn. Okay, and this palmetto and Del Mar uh, Saint Augustine is that like generally available at a nursery? It's going to be available to grass suppliers, uh, nurseries per se really shouldn't be offering grass for sale because uh, sod needs to be planted within 48 hours of the time it's dug from the field and unless the nursery actually owns a grass farm chances are anything you find in a nursery is going to be have been sitting there long enough that it's starting to deteriorate they used to sell different kinds of grass in in trays actually little plugs growing in uh you know plastic like a bedding plant tray i haven't seen that out there in a while but um where where approximately are you located uh stone oak area uh, you you've got a a good grass supplier um it's called the thomas stone and landscape their principal office is up in Bulverde, but they actually have a material yard out near the corner of Redland Road in 1604, so they're right around the corner from you. And uh, they typically have good quality grass. In fact, they're the only grass company. I'd say every now and then Dell's has uh, f- some other things that are good in grasses, but Thomas Stone, is, uh, I think, is the most reliable grass producer uh, in this area. And like I say, they're right around the corner from me, so that's the first place I'd try. Okay, and then last question, is now a good time to plant that, or is there a better time than right now? <laughs> better time would be two years ago, but now is an okay <laughs> time to plant it. Uh, try to get it done, you know, before the heat hits this summer, and you don't don't worry about tilling your grass. You just you want to make sure that your new grass makes good contact with the soil underneath. So you'll rake it to get up, you know, any old, you know, leaves, dead material, whatever, so that the new grass uh, makes good contact. And the most important thing you do, other than, you know, the old laggy joke about getting the green side up, uh, the, old, the most important thing you do after you put it down is you rent one of these uh, water-fillable rollers, a very heavy roller, and go back and forth over the top of it a few times. You're not trying to level it. What you're trying to do is take the air pockets out so that your grass uh, will get that good seal against the ground underneath and take off and grow as quickly as possible. All right. Good info. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's what we're here for. And consider one other thing, and that is, uh, um, is your shade from live oaks or is it from trees that drop their leaves in the winter? Uh, Trees that drop leaves in the winter. Okay. There are some, you know, some other perennials and some things that will do in the shade uh they're not you know like like a ground cover but uh consider especially round trees and things like that create some beds uh it's you know wall-to-wall grass is just an awful lot of maintenance it takes an awful lot more water than some of the perennials do 
and uh, talk to a good nurseryman. Take a picture of your backyard in and say, hey, what would look good? What would grow in here? Uh, there's some things that are quite shade tolerant that can make your backyard much more interesting and uh, cut down on the maintenance a little bit for you as well. Okay, great. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. You get out and have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you. Oh, Bye-bye. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, uh, Teresa, hang on just a second. Got to get a break out of the way here, and then it'll be your turn. Looks like I get to talk about Medina Agriculture. And, gosh, Stuart Frankie, uh, certainly I wasn't around uh, when they started the company over 50 years ago, but uh known Stuart a lot of years since that time. Uh, it's actually some uncles of his, that cousins that did it. But Stuart has been for years engaged in learning everything possible about working with nature, about the microbes that improve our soils and detoxify things in the soils. He's done toot his own horn, so to speak, but the man has worked worldwide bioremediation and cleaning up things like chemical spills with this microbial technology but what you need to know is he's put that technology into creating products that work with nature to do lots of things for your for your plants they make great fertilizers both dry and liquid things that bind to the soil that don't wash away that can be used 365 days a year whether the grass or trees or whatever are wet or dry products like their great uh, medina soil activator and the improved form they call medina plus over time will break down thatch will soften your soil do so many things to you know help the quality of your soil and then they package things i can't say they make the orange oil but they shop worldwide for the very best orange oil best liquid seaweed think comes off the coast of north africa these days medina just goes the extra extra mile or many 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 miles to find for you the very best products out there You'll find a complete list of the products at medinaag.com or just go to a good nursery or independent retailer that carries quality lawn products. I'm sure you'll find things from Medina Agriculture. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on this absolutely glorious morning out there. It's going to be Teresa and Lewis and Scott. Teresa's up first. Good morning, Teresa. Good morning. My Good morning. My first question is about fairy rings. Yes. You know these bare spots in the yard. I mean, right next to it could be grass like crazy, St. Augustine, and then it's not because of a tree because it's right next to where the good grass is growing. I put extra compost down extra fertilizer but they never go away it very ring if that is indeed what it is is actually a fungus and whole ground cornmeal will do better to take care of than anything else sometimes when you yesterday but go ahead Um, sometimes when you have an area like that that grass simply won't grow um, what you may have, depending on the part of town or the part of the area you live in, sometimes you've got rock very close to the surface and just so little soil on top of it. Sometimes, uh, oh gosh, when I lived in northwest San Antonio, we had domes of collegia. You could stand up on the roof and look down at the lawn, and you could pick out all the areas where the grass was getting thin, and it's just where you have big projections of collegia coming up underneath. So lots of different things can cause that, but uh, if it is indeed you know, what they call fairy ring, that is a fungal disease, and whole ground cornmeal should take care of it. Whole ground. Where do you find that? 
Oh, any feed store, any nursery, if you're buying it at HEB, you would want to get what they call stone ground. You don't want baking cornmeal because uh, when they make baking cornmeal, they have polished all the good stuff away from the corn, and all you're getting is the starchy middle of it. And uh, um, so, but, but what they sell, they call stone ground. It's just more expensive than it's going to be at a nursery, but if you don't need too much of it, you can just pick it up next time you're in the grocery store. Otherwise, something like, did you say Tractor Supply or Greengate? I mean, Seguin would have that kind of. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure Greengate will. Um, tractor Supply probably would, but their smallest bag is probably going to be 50 pounds. Um, Greengate should have it uh, from a company called Nature's Creation and about a five-pound okay. bag, which is going to be all you need. The cornmeal isn't the magic. It's It grows a beneficial fungus called trichoderma, and that's what will knock out the damaging fungi. It'll take care of brown patch and take all patch at the same time. And I've heard you, you were just talking about beneficial nematodes. Is that temperature sensitive, like if we have another freeze for that? I wouldn't I wouldn't put out beneficial nematodes while it's below freezing, but the day before or the day after, you're fine to put them out. Uh, we put them out about three days ago, as a matter of fact. Oh. <clears throat> okay, but well, that's good to hear. All right. Very good. For my farm meal. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's a pleasure, Teresa. Thank you for the call this morning. Uh, next in line is Lewis. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Bob. Morning, Good sir. morning. I've got a question about Japanese anemones. I have some Alastob Japanese anemones, which have grown in the Houston, East Texas kind of wetter areas. And I'm over in the Bryan area. Do you have any experience growing these things? Um, most anemones, I, I don't know one by that name, but they are there are a large range of anemones out there. They, um, uh, I, I love them. I, I'm seeing the first ones come up in my yard. They're a real harbinger okay. of spring. They, uh, they're a little, basically a wildflower. They are a small, people would call them a bulb. I think they're actually a corm, uh, like a gladiolus, but, uh, uh-huh. uh, anemones, you know, as long as you've got fairly bright light, uh, some of mine continue to come up year after year, even in the shade of uh, some of my big oaks, but the prettiest ones are always out in the yard. Um, would certainly be time to put them in the ground. Uh, anemones okay. and, uh, and you know, some of the other dry bulbs like ranunculus, this is still a good time to plant. And the all of the species of anemones that I have grown are totally... Uh, they naturalize. They keep coming back year after year. And um, like I say, I, I'm not familiar with something that's specifically called Japanese. But uh, so far as I know, all the anemones are pretty much the same as their culture uh, as far as Yeah, these goes. are, I think these, you know how some names get shared amongst things, you know, and they may be of a, you know, the common names get shared, there may be a different genus. You know how that goes. Absolutely. These things are, uh, my friend, Lynn Lowry was a friend of mine. And he found oh, good for you. Houston. And, uh, yeah, we used to swap out and trade stuff, and I've been trying to collect some of the things that he had found. And, and these are, they get about, they, the bloom stalks get about three feet tall, and they bloom in oh, the wow. Fall. That's interesting. And uh, Alice Staub, she was the president, I think, of some horticulture club, had them in her yard. He said it's the only ones. And David Creech was growing them up at Stephen F. Austin at, at the Arboretum. Right. Up Arboretum, there. yeah, yeah, uh huh, yeah. And uh, so I found some at that nursery in Hempstead, the old um, 
John Ferry Peckerwood Gardens. They had some, mm-hmm. they, they had odd stuff like that. And I just wondered if you'd ever seen those, like at the Botanical Garden or somewhere that may have had these things. <laughs> Sound, sounds like something I need to look for, but um, where do you live? I'm, I'm, I'm moving to Bryan. I had moved to Bryan last okay. year, so that's where okay. they were going to grow. All I was going to so, say, if it grows well in the Piney Woods, it's not going to grow well in the Hill Country. It's probably going to be right, mediocre right. here. But, uh, you know, if, if uh, David's growing them uh, over in Nacogdoches, you should be okay with them, and Brian. Okay. Okay. Can I ask a different question? Do you have time? About of course. Our, um, of course, the one, one other thing I'd tell you about that is uh, I would either berm up an area or, you know, put them in a, in a right. raised bed. You have right. so much sodium in the soil, this could be a problem. And uh, creating a raised bed, putting a little bit better soil in there to begin with is a way to grow a lot of things that might otherwise struggle. But uh, go ahead that's with the next question. Go, yeah, good. that's what I did, and I have a 5,000-gallon rainwater tank. So I water with rainwater is water. Good for you. Good for you. The uh, asparagus. I I had a large asparagus raised bed with asparagus, and I pushed it out with my tractor and front end loader to harvest the crowns this winter uh-huh. and move them. But it's going to probably be April before I get everything worked up. I, I've got those things just covered with some coarse sand right now in uh, in cattle feed tubs. Mm-hmm. I, I won't be able to get those crowns planted, you know, for till after they spread out you you think i'm just spinning my wheels trying to hold on to those things or should i no. just start fresh no i i think uh i think you will be fine i would uh tend to use perlite rather than sand because sand may keep them too wet you know and it, it's not the water that hurts it's when the water drives all the moisture out right. of the growing medium that things suffer and perlite is a great way to hold things what you're going to find is that they're going to sprout they're going to sprout and grow like right. mad and when you get around to you know actually planting the crowns uh, there's nothing wrong with that but you're going to have to do some separating but um uh, i definitely i'd want to keep them moist but not wet i'd want to you know right. once they sprout i'd want to put them out where they get good sunlight and basically if you're doing it in molasses tubs or something like that, you're just going right. to grow them like a plant in a pot until you're ready to actually put them in the soil. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm just trying to – I've got close to over 100 of the darn things yep. and, uh, that I've grown for the past 15, 20 years. Some of them are pretty yeah. big. You know, yeah, just, just don't bury them too deeply. Be sure that you've got them covered no more than an inch deep above the top of the crown, and uh, you'll do just fine with them. Okay, I'm just trying to hold on to them until I get everything semi-weed free and tarped, and <laughs> you know, and you know everything you got to do to try to get the weed seed to germinate. And mm-hmm. then kill it, so. Oh yeah, and uh, have fun planting them on the Fourth of July, which is uh, about when you'll get around to it. <laughs> if you're <laughs> if you're planting on April, if your life's anything like mine, Fourth uh, of July is probably when it's actually going to happen. But nothing wrong with that. Fourth of July next of uh, twenty five, <laughs> maybe. So. Um, amen to that. Thank you for the advice, Bob. Japanese anemones, Alice Staub was the variety, and they've been around for, I guess, about 40 or 50 years that they've been I'll, growing. I'll so. look forward to them, and I'll ask Howard Garrett about them. In the meantime, uh, right. I gotta, I have to, gotta, got to go to news. We'll be right back, and uh, let's see. Uh, Lewis, or, uh, we'll get right back after the news. This is KTSA Radio San Antonio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 
All right, back to gardening on this beautiful Sunday morning out there. Going to be a little windy today, but man, that blue sky, that sunshine looks good on top of this uh, nice moist soil that most of us have. It's just a just a good day to be alive and living in South Texas and being glad you're not in Southern California or somewhere way up north. Uh, my next three callers going to be Scott, H.A., and John. Scott is first in line. Good morning, Scott. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Um, I have a question. I just planted two rose bushes uh, just because when I got them, they'd already had uh, growth on them. And okay. they were in a container that uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep it in that long. Um, <laughs> okay. But I was looking at the weather, <laughs> and we get colder than they say in the forecast. We're down in a valley. Uh-huh. And... Uh, It'll be close to freezing, probably between 30 and 32 down here. Uh, with that fresh growth, do I need to cover them at only 30 or 32? It's not going to be hard freeze, but I, I put like a bucket over them. It, it, I would not worry about it. I mean, if it's convenient, I wouldn't put a bucket over them. Put anything over, be some of the light, uh, you know, light colored row cover. But uh, roses are hardy plants. They'll go down to zero. The new growth may get a little nipped. If it does, the rose is just going to put out more. Um, what uh, can I ask? Where you got them, uh, and and or do you know what the company that they came from is? Uh, a lady at work was at Sprouts and got them. As fragrance mm-hmm. was the name of the brand. Okay. And it was a pink piece, and I can't remember the other one. Okay. The thing that you have to worry about when you're getting from, you know, basically a small box store uh, or tractor supply or some of these other places that shouldn't be selling plants is that you you don't know what rootstock they are grafted on. And if they. They're grafted. Okay. Well, that's. When I was looking at them, I took the soil away uh, at the top and. From what I was seeing, I don't think they are grafted. Well, that's excellent. I'm surprised that Sprouts would have an ungrafted rose. But uh, in that case, I would plant them if it's going to be, you know, if it's going to be down where you could get frost. If you want to throw a little insulate over them, it's an interesting thing. If you were just to take and turn a black bucket or something upside down on top of them, they actually freeze worse underneath that than they do just exposed to the air. But if you have any light-colored, my favorite of the row covers is called the letter N, insulate. Um, that'll, that'll keep the frost off of them, but even, even if the new growth gets burned a little bit, it's not going to hurt them. They're going to come right back out. Uh, by far the most important thing with roses is just be absolutely certain the root system never dries out. As long as that root system stays moist, uh, they should do just fine for you down in your beautiful part of the world. Okay. Yeah, I, I was just worried just because it was new growth. I wasn't really worried about the rose itself, but I mean, it's, most of the growth is four to six inches already, so that's why that's I, another reason why I decided to plant it. So yeah, and and the problem with covering is that new growth is just really really tender. A lot of people do more damage trying to cover it up, just simply breaking it back than uh, Mother Nature ever would. Uh, I would if it's going to be anywhere close to freezing, I would be sure that you water the day before. Uh, get them good and well saturated, and like I say, if you get a little cosmetic damage, they're going to grow out of it so quickly you're you're not going to notice it very shortly. 
Okay, good. Um, my next question, uh, my grandmother had some, we think they're cape lilies or crinum lilies. Yeah. Sort of the bigger ones. Um, and my uncle gave us some. It looks like one of them is trying to come up. When is a good mm -hmm. time to plant those? Uh, get them planted as soon as you can. Crinums are, where you are, they're probably going to be evergreen. Uh, here in San Antonio, some winters they freeze back, some winters they don't. But uh, crinums are wonderful things, and you're you're far enough south that uh, they should do beautifully well, no, for you. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, we're, I thought you said you were down toward the valley. Oh, okay, you're up no, by no, Georgetown. No, no, we're in a valley. We're in a valley, that's why we get colder okay. then. I, I'm sorry, I thought you said the valley as opposed to a valley. Um, no. But plant your crinums, uh, but I wouldn't change my recommendation on the rose bushes. But um, uh, plant your crinums, if you can, they need an area that gets at least half a day of good sun. Um, I'd probably plant them where they get a southern exposure just so you don't get the really hard, cold north winds. Those are one thing that I, I would mulch heavily in the winter months. Uh, not really necessary to cover, but if we start getting down in single digits, crinums could be damaged, but uh, I'd rather see six inches of mulch over the top of the plants and, you know, trying to cover them up. Mulch is going to do a lot better for you, and they will come back. Uh, mulch, they will come back even after the coldest winters. And just uh, if you can, judge the size, because some crinums are going to make a plant that's three and a half or four feet tall. Some are going to stay much more manageable. You can probably judge by the size of the bulbs how much room you'll need to allow them to grow well. Well, and that was my other question. How deep would I be planting these? With most any bulb, crinums included, uh, I would look at how tall the bulb is, and I would plant them with about that much soil over the top of them. If those bulbs are two inches tall, plant them about two inches deep. A uh, little smaller, a little closer to the surface, a little bigger, just a little bit further down. So basically just bury the whole bulb? Yeah, bury the whole bulb. Okay. Um, on the really big ones, the ones they call Peruvian daffodils, hymenocallus, some of those, uh, you might want to leave the bulbs a little closer to the surface, but the actual bulb should always be covered. If a little bit of that kind of neck of growth comes up, that's okay, but the, the bulb itself, to protect it in the winter months, needs to be fully covered with soil. Okay, and I can put them on the south side. They'll, mm -hmm. they'll get morning sun during the summer. Yeah. A little bit of morning sun, that, that'll allow them enough light. Well, the more sun, the better. But typically, um, you know, south side of the of a building is going to get a lot more sun through the year than the north side is, and it's going to have a little bit of protection when we do get the cold northers. So uh, I think you'll be fine there. But plant them in the in the sunniest area you possibly can. Okay. Yeah, I was just worried because that it, only in the morning, uh, like right when the sun comes up, it gets a little bit of light. Uh, coming over the house but other than that it's pretty much shade for those three months during the summer if it's if it's bright shade if it's bright enough to cast a shadow um then they'll be fine if you if it's not bright enough to cast a shadow you may want to move them to a sunnier area uh ideal place would be where they get lots of sun in the morning but no hot hot sun in the afternoon okay and uh also tomorrow's my mom's birthday so my 
brother and sister-in-law decided to get her yet another orchid, which I'm already struggling with the one I gave her last year. <laughs> uh, okay. It was the best play, best thing to do with these orchids. Uh, my cousin said that when she got a few of them, they had mm-hmm. some sort of metal band around the very base of the plant and that she needed to take it off. Do you know what that's about? I've not seen one with a metal band. It, Are it these, was almost uh, like it was restricting it from growing or something. I don't know. It was really weird. I The only reason I would expect a metal band would be to hold, hold the bloom spike upright. And, um, you know, I, I would very definitely, you know, take that off at some point. Are these the ones that have the sort of flat leaves that come, you know, yeah, one after the other? Uh, yeah, they're the... Uh, Phalaenopsis. Uh, oh. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Call them a moth orchid. If if you want to, if you don't want the big words, call it a moth orchid. Uh, most important things with those: number one, keep them warm. They don't like it below sixty degrees. Uh, number two, they want lots of light. Indoors, it'd be virtually impossible to give them too much light. So try to keep them in a sunny window. Uh, water okay, thoroughly. Can you say light. Are you talking direct light or absolutely, absolutely? Okay. Um, just don't put them up against the glass. But uh, sunny window in the home is where they're going to do the best. As far as the bloom spikes go, keep them out of drafts. Don't put them under a ceiling fan. Don't put them where a, uh, a heat vent or a, you know AC vent blows on them. It won't hurt the plants, but it'll sure shorten the life of the flowers. And probably the single most important thing. When they finish blooming, enjoy the flowers or have tell her to enjoy the flowers as long as they are on there. And as soon as they finish flowering, repot them because uh, most of these things come out of Taiwan and they start them in a medium called sphagnum moss. And that's great for starting them. But long term, it will hold so much moisture that the roots will rot. The plant will die. Um, get them out of that medium and into a. Uh, an orchid bark mix, just about any good nursery should have a, a mix that, you know, say it's specifically for epiphytic orchids. And it'll usually be about 80% bark, maybe a little bit of charcoal, maybe a little bit of what they call coarse. Yeah, yeah I have some of that. I just, I, I think my problem's been light because I put it in the west window, the one that I currently have. Uh huh. And I just don't know if it's getting enough light for those yep. few hours that it's over on the west. Well, the west west sun is good, strong sun, and uh, but you know, watch your watering, and like I say, they need to come out of the medium they came in and into the orchid mix, uh, bark mix, as soon as uh, they're finished flowering. But beyond that, Phalaenopsis, unlike Cattleyas and Dendrobiums and some of the other common orchids, they do not have any water storage organ. They don't have pseudobulbs, so you don't ever want to let them get completely dry when they're good and dry on the surface. Water them very thoroughly. Once you get them into the orchid bark, it'd be almost impossible to keep them too wet because it drains so much better. And uh, they ought to live for many, many years for you. Some of the newer varieties will rebloom. Many of them, those bloom spikes, once they finish uh, dropping all the flowers that are on there, sometimes you'll branch and put on additional flowers. An old orchid grower friend named Ed Wright, he had one in a hanging basket. And uh, he had a greenhouse in his backyard. But he had, and I can't remember, six or eight years, that plant continuously had either buds or flowers on it. How often should I be watering? 
whenever the whenever the medium's dry on the surface. That's going to depend on how warm it is and how bright it is. So you can't set a schedule. You just need to use your index finger to feel it every day or two. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Good questions. I appreciate the call. And uh, AJ and John, hang on just a minute. Let me talk about uh, my good friend, Dr. Williamson, and you guys will be up next. Dr. Mark Williamson, uh, just one of the finest dentists you will find anywhere. man who uh, was privileged to work with Dr. Ed Staffel for a few years before Dr. Staffel died. And Dr. Williamson is so broadly trained, and then he learned even more from Dr. Staffel, carried on his uh, sedation dentistry that he offers. If you can have real serious procedures, uh, that allows him to do a whole lot more in one sitting. And let's face it, some people just are a little, little afraid of going to the dentist, and uh, uh, he has very mild things that will take care of dental anxiety and things that will make you comfortable even if you're having uh, some major things done. And that's another big difference in Dr. Williamson. He handles the tough stuff. So many dentists these days want to send you out to a specialist if it's more than just a cleaning or a filling. Dr. Williamson can take care of virtually every issue that you might face right there in his office. And that's going to save you time. That's going to save you money. That's going to make you more comfortable. And you will love the atmosphere in the office. Dr. Williamson and his staff are yeah, they're just kind, caring people. He's not looking forward to the next patient. He's focused on you. And uh, it's just a difference. If you're looking for a new dentist, if you're new to town, you know, whatever the reason, if you want to just start with the best and just an incredibly, incredibly good office situation, you need to check out Dr. Williamson and Associates. They're located out on Cherry Ridge Drive. Phone number 210-341-2569. Just for a different dental experience, go see Dr. Williamson and Associates. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Next three callers should be A.J., John, and Rosa. And A.J. is up first. Good morning, A.J. Well, Bobby, just to ease your mind, we're not going to get into some highly technical situations today. Well, I'm up for, you know, it's early in the day. I think I can handle just about anything. So you just shoot away, so to speak. All right. Shortly after I asked you whether I could plant that uh, crimson clover uh-huh. a little later in the season, I planted it, and it, it just... I watered it about every two days, and it come up real nice. And I got a real nice green glow across the garden. Good. And uh, it's about inch, maybe tall. It looks like it's just sitting there right now. It doesn't doesn't want to grow. The stuff that volunteered from last year looks really good, really good. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so we got three and a half inches <clears throat> yesterday morning, and then about two weeks ago we got seven inches. So that's <laughs> Lucky you. there. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, uh, like on bougainvilleas and esperanzas, mine have frozen. Mm-hmm. And can I take those limbs off at the ground, or do I not go that far? Now I can cut them off a little higher, and then come back and cut the bottoms off. That's what I would do. That's what I do. I I cut them back about a foot tall. Uh, just so they're manageable, and then when they start coming out, go ahead and cut them back to whatever point the new growth is coming from. Where you are, they're almost certainly going to come back. And back to your clover momentarily, even though clover 
make some of its own fertilizer from the from the bacteria that's in the nodules on the roots uh that stuff needs to be fertilized and so uh if it's if it's not putting on pretty good growth i give it a little bit of just any good organic fertilizer liquid or dry and uh kind of kickstart it these days where right. it's getting up close to 70 degrees it ought to be it ought to be growing up taller than that pretty soon okay all righty I, I just happen to have some of that specialized uh, <laughs> item that you mentioned. Very good. Any uh, the other thing, uh, when do I call you back to learn how to get a, take a rose cutting? You told me a while back, but I done forgot. In, in March or April? Yeah, it, you need to have mature wood. And you could actually take some cuttings now, but not from not from the new growth. Uh, you know, you're you're going to have some new growth. We always prune our bush roses sometime around Valentine's Day, and you know that's coming up pretty shortly. So you can actually take some rose cuttings right now if you like. And uh, if you've got roses that you need to prune, you know, you kind of two birds with one stone. You prune them and you root some of what you take off. So. The the cuttings that are going to root best are going to be out toward the tips of the branches. And you want your cuttings to be three, maybe four inches long. You want to strip off uh, the leaves from probably the bottom two inches of the stem. You want two inches of bare stem. I would give them a little soak in uh, either garret juice or liquid seaweed or a mixture of the two. Uh, I would dilute it down, you know, quart of water, probably use a couple of tablespoons of each. Soak them for about 15, 20 minutes, and then take a pot or two or however many uh, you want. Fill them with just clean perlite and moisten it. And then, oh, in a six or eight inch pot, you can probably put about 10 cuttings in each pot. Keep them in bright light, but no direct sun. Water them every time you think about it. Uh, in perlite, you don't ever have to worry about doing it too often. And um, protect them if it's going to get really cold, but chances are you, it's unlikely you're going to have any real cold. And uh, you'll you'll have uh, you'll have roots on them probably in about four to six weeks when you just gently lift up on the cutting and you start feeling a little resistance. You'll know it's forming roots and it's ready to come out and go in a pot of soil. See, I've got some small pots. I, if I was going to do it, I was going to put one in each small pot. They hold about a cup of material. Well, ultimately, yeah, when you take them out of the perlite, you want to root them in perlite. I guess you can fill those pots with perlite, but it's just a whole lot more efficient because even the even the best of the best don't have every cutting root. You're probably going to have 80% of them root. So what what a commercial grower or a serious hobbyist would do is put a bunch of cuttings in one pot, and then once they form roots, starting to form roots, take them out and put them in their individual pots. And uh, that's going to make the most use of your space and give you the nicest plants most quickly. You won't damage the roots pulling them out? No. No, you'd be surprised. I mean, <laughs> you know, be be a little gentle with them like you would, uh, you know, a, a puppy or something like that, and uh, they'll be just fine. Or or you stick a screwdriver in there and loosen that soil up around the, around the edge of the pot? If you want to do that, you certainly can. Okay. All right. Now, these are European roses, and I've had them, I guess, 20 years already. Uh-huh. And so they did bud out, but we had that freeze, and it caught, it nipped them back, those yeah. buds. And I just refertilized them uh day before yesterday. 
Yeah. Well, go ahead and go ahead and do your pruning. Take your cuttings. Uh, long as the stems are smooth and green and not shriveled, uh, the cold didn't hurt them at all. Typically, those plants can get a lot colder than we got uh, with nothing more than a little cosmetic damage. So even if the leaves look ugly, uh, those stems are still good for forming roots and growing new plants. So just keep those cuttings down to three or four inches long and take as many of them as you can. Sounds like a pretty rose that you'd like to share with your friends and family. How much of that uh, stalk do you leave sticking out of that perlite? If you had a four-inch cutting, I'd have two inches underneath and two inches above. All righty, and keep that bottom about an inch off the pot. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. The years that I work for... I work for a really big nursery in Dallas right after I got out of college, and uh, we actually rooted in metal trays that were about uh, three inches deep, and we'd put a couple of cu hundred cuttings per tray. I think at one mm. point I had control of about three million, you know, little plants we were trying to grow. So, uh, yeah, I, I can tell you how the big guys do it. We just kind of you know scale it down a little bit for our own use but uh it's yeah it it's and believe me nobody was sitting there with a measuring stick to be sure we got it just the right distance in doesn't matter if it's all the way to the bottom or if it's uh in a deep pot and okay. three inches from right. the bottom this is not rocket science uh you know depending okay. on you're dealing with living things so of course you do have to be gentle and give them the care they need but you should be very successful with rooting these this time of year aj okay and uh those bushes right now standing in the garden they're probably maybe just a little over knee high that's as tall mm -hmm. as they are how how much do i cut off the top of that bush i would probably trim them back by about a third what you're doing, if it's a bigger bush, I'd cut them by, back by as much as two-thirds. And now, these are bush roses, not climbers, right, if they're that size? That is correct. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. so you want to prune this time of year. Climbing roses, we don't prune them till after they've bloomed because your bush roses are going to bloom on new growth that comes out this spring. A climbing rose is going to bloom on the growth that grew last fall. So prune those too early, you, should, you lose your flowers. We prune them after their spring bloom. Your bush roses, you want as many roses as possible in nice strong stems. So that's why we prune them sometime around Valentine's Day. All righty. Now, once I put them in the perlite and in the pot, get them out of direct sun bright light but no hot sun a little morning sun is probably going to be just fine but no hot afternoon sun all righty because right now we're in the afternoons we're getting up into about 65 maybe yeah and that's that's fine uh sunburn can occur at any temperature and that's you know if you want to know whether the plant's in danger of burning just reach down and feel the leaves uh, if the leaves are cool, no matter how sunny it is or how, you know, what the temperature is, if the leaves are cool, they're not going to burn. But, uh, okay, you know, they're, the I'm sorry. Let the, leaves at the top of, let the leaves at the top of the stem. Well, right. Okay, just the bottom two or three inches, clean all of them off. That's right, because anything that goes okay. under the perlite is going to rot off. Okay. All righty, Bobby, I'm going to give this a try. And, and see the how, how the hell it's going to work out. And you will know the results. Well, I will certainly look forward to that. And uh, um, I don't know if it's around anymore, but a few years ago I would have told you to enjoy some perlite while you were planting in your perlite. No, 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 no. This bohemian has ceased consuming <laughs> that stuff. 
<laughs> it, uh, I, I say that jokingly because I was giving a garden club talk a long time ago, and I, I told, uh, I think we were talking about geranium cuttings, and I told them to root them in perlite, and this lady said, that's the first time I've ever heard of rooting something in beer. So, no, no perlite, perlite, not perlite. So, A.J., you have a wonderful Sunday, and I'll look forward to our next visit. Thank you, Bobby. Bye. My pleasure. Thank you. Don, we need to get a break in here. We don't have a live, so uh, run those recordings, and we'll get back. And it looks like we start with John. You've heard the buzz about IT jobs and cybersecurity and AI, right? Why not prepare for a career in these fields and take advantage of the high demand? You could enjoy a more rewarding and recession-resistant lifestyle. Train in just a few short months at My Computer Career. Are you a veteran, active-duty military, or already in IT? Skill up for positions employers need to fill. Go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Financial aid is available for qualified students, including the GI Bill. When you order food for work on EasyCater.com, we've got your back with 24-7 support to make sure everything goes right. Confirming with the restaurant, guiding drivers when they need delivery instructions, making sure the food arrives on time and is ordered. But if there's a problem... Thanks for calling EasyCater. Call us anytime, day or night, and we'll answer in seconds. Because food for work has to work. And we're right here to make sure it does. 100,000 restaurants, one platform. Order 24-7 at EasyCater.com. Looking for top-notch personal protection? The Smith & Wesson Equalizer is here to level the playing field. Easy-to-rack slide, easy-to-control ergonomic grip, it's designed for you. With a 10, 13, and 15-round magazine included, size up for better control or size down for easier concealment. Don't miss out on the opportunity to upgrade your safety. Visit your local dealer now. To learn more about the Equalizer, visit smith-wesson.com. Smith & Wesson, empowering Americans. All capacity sizes may not be available in your jurisdiction. Be sure to check your local laws and regulations. When you order food for work on EasyCater.com, we've got your back with 24-7 support to make sure everything goes right. Confirming with the restaurant, guiding drivers when they need delivery instructions, making sure the food arrives on time and is ordered. But if there's a problem... Thanks for calling EasyCater. Call us anytime, day or night, and we'll answer in seconds. Because food for work has to work. And we're right here to make sure it does. 100,000 restaurants, one platform. Order 24-7 at EasyCater.com. Looking for top-notch personal protection? The Smith & Wesson Equalizer is here to level the playing field. Easy-to-rack slide, easy-to-control ergonomic grip, it's designed for you. With a 10, 13, and 15-round magazine included, size up for better control or size down for easier concealment. Don't miss out on the opportunity to upgrade your safety. Visit your local dealer now. To learn more about the Equalizer, visit smith-wesson.com. Smith & Wesson, empowering Americans. All capacity sizes may not be available in your jurisdiction. Be sure to check your local laws and regulations. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. going to be John, Rosa, and Brenda. We start with John. Good morning, John. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I thought I was thought I was going crazy earlier. I'd look at my phone and look at the weather, and and it was all you know forties every morning. And then you got to talking to this guy about a freeze in the valley, and I'm like, what the heck? I better look at my phone again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I have to be careful is I I've got I get the weather for several different places where I have friends around the country, and every now and then I'll look at that and say ten degrees. And then I realize that's Pinedale, Wyoming, not San Antonio. So, <laughs> well, I do the same thing, but all of mine are north of here, and I don't have anything yep. that's 
that's south, so I don't. I'm thinking, how the heck are they getting a freeze down there? Yeah, well, yep, would I not show it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I know uh, what you're talking about. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, I, in my ongoing fight with my leaf cutter ants, um, this I two weeks before the freeze um, of a few weeks ago or two or three weeks ago. I planted broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, and put insulatum on them before the freeze. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just built, I've talked to you about these raised beds and how to do them. I just built these new raised beds, really happy with them, I thought, and put the insulate out over the stuff. Well, I came out a couple of days after the freeze and took it off. And, you know, it was warm underneath the insulate and mm-hmm. the leaf cutters were just i mean they had decimated oh wow all of my i had one one broccoli plant that still had leaves. i don't know why they left the one it must be <laughs> must be poison or something but uh uh yeah everything gone even i had onions in the thing you know i put them in the in the bricks all the way around yeah and uh um had onions in those and they even took the tops of the onions off i mean they're cut off you know like two inches down the the stem of the onion that's crazy. And it is. And I've never had them, you know, I, I have them eat all kinds of stuff, but I, I don't think I've ever had them eat my broccoli and cauliflower. Oh, uh, usually that's the little green cabbage worms that gets after them. But Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, it's, and, uh, and, I, and of course, I, I, I use all the neighbor's leaves. I will, you know, run over them with my riding mower and, and grind them up and put them up there in the all my pathways. Right. And they're just taking those leaves like crazy right down there. I mean, you know, I've got two or three holes in the garden that are the size of a quarter. They just bring it right down the hole. And, and, and I think the, if not the main mound, at least a storage facility that they have in my shed because on the sides of my shed, the, mm-hmm. the back and the two sides, the dirt is anywhere from a foot higher down to six inches higher than the level of the slab was level with the the ground when it was built. Right. So right. they've built up all around that shed. So I'm I'm guessing there's probably a, a cavity under there that I'm waiting for it to sink when I ride my put my mower on it or something. Um, right. Well, I'll tell you. Anyway, when... I, my question was: Does does fungicide? If you spray your broccoli, cauliflower, etc., whatever, with fungicide. Do they realize that this is not going to grow their moldy food and and leave them alone, or or what is the solution for this? Well, the problem is with all those coal family plants, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, whatever. It's because of the structure of the leaf. Nothing sticks to the leaf, and yeah. I, you know, if if you could find a way to get your your fungicide whatever it was you were using to actually stick to the leaves they might avoid it but uh, problem number one it's not going to stick when you spray it and problem number two those plants grow so quickly uh you know they can form a, a new leaf every day or two and that's not going to have anything on it so um it it would be interesting to try but i'm not sure how effective it would be if uh one thing that's not organic, but uh, one thing that I have told people about, and um, you know, and the leaf cutters are—they're—they're they're just one of the toughest things in the world. The paper and um, 
plywood people have spent millions of dollars looking for controls for them and still don't have it. But one thing you can do, and, and I wouldn't do this in the garden, but if you know where the mound is uh, and it's you know somewhere you can get to it, one thing that you can do is take a piece of rebar, take a pipe, something like that, and push down into the soil. You'll feel it break into the chamber underground. And you can go to the grocery store and get one of these room foggers that they sell, you know, for controlling roaches and things like that. You can turn that thing upside down, set it off, and put a plastic garbage bag or something or other to hold all of that vapor material down in the soil. And I've had people tell me that that worked extremely well. Again, I it's not something that I'm... Uh, you know, that I want to do on a regular basis, but leaf cutters, I'd, I'd sooner see you do something like that than turn to a more toxic product. Yeah. And those work upside down? Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're pressurized. So they and uh, standing up and spray. Well, I thought they just were spraying all the chemicals was in the area where it wasn't picking up if they were upside down. But I No, they, I they should they work do. just fine upside down, but... Uh, um, you know, that's that's the one way that you can be sure that you've pretty much killed every ant in that chamber, uh, including the queen. And uh, like I say, if you're if you're to the point that you're thinking about going with something even more toxic, I'd sure give it that a try first. Yeah, well, I've tried everything I can think of over the last 25 years to get rid of them. And, and I just, I, we've even talked about that before, and I, I don't remember if I ever tried it. I think... I think I didn't because I would have to drill through the slab of that shed, what used to be a shed, and it's not there anymore, but uh, I'd have to drill through that slab unless I went to an angle, and I guess I could do that. Well, uh, and the other thing you can do is to, uh, you know, put a, you know, a really large uh, spade bit, a two-inch spade bit or something like that on a with a long shank and, and just start in from the side and just, you know, see if you can tunnel underneath there and get into where that chamber is. Uh um, I, it, I hate to hate to have to try to drill through the slab because even then you might not be right above the chamber. But you might go around the edge and uh, you know everybody these days has a cordless drill. Just get uh, just get a spade bit with a long shank on it and see if you can uh, go in laterally and break into that uh, get break into that colony and get there that way. Normally you will see where they have their little entrances. And if you were to do that following one of those little entrances down into it, I think you might be very successful. Well, th- now they have holes. All I mean, I've got holes in my front yard. They, they. I mean, this is a hundred feet from the the shed. They mm-hmm. by the telephone pole in the front yard. They have a, a quarter size hole out there. They've got three or four of them in a garden that are seventy five feet from that shed and. Uh, um, I mean, they've got holes all over the place. And, then, of course, these things run the whole neighborhood. Every neighbor out yep. here hates them. Uh, yep. and well, use, use the, anywhere you see something like that, use the beneficial nematodes. Uh, not going to work under a slab because the soil is going to be too dry underneath there. But anywhere you've got any moisture in the soil, especially now following this rain, your beneficial nematode will take care of uh, all the leaf cutter ants, you know, that, it come, that they come in contact with below ground level so if you've got these areas where you have a big concentration of uh you know of the ants uh i would put your little sponge just in a big watering can and then go around and just not not really saturate the soil but just give them all a a good heavy sprinkle with it and 
Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a little while when you've got thousands of ants. It takes a little while for the nematodes to get to all of them. But uh, we certainly do that effectively on fire ants, and there's no reason it wouldn't help a lot with the leaf cutters as well. I didn't realize that they that they went after the larvae. I thought they they got into the eggs and stuff. They get into the larvae, and uh, the, um, they actually, but but they will get on the leaf cutters and get transported down into where the eggs and the larvae are. Um, They're very tiny, very about, tiny little creatures. What about the um, uh, what they call the sand that they walk on and cuts cuts them up? Um, Diatomaceous earth. Diatomaceous earth. Couldn't think of it. Uh, yeah. DE works that? fine as long as it stays dry. Uh, once it gets wet, not effective. But if you can get it out in a dry form, any of the ants that go through it, it will get down into their joints and it just starts cutting and, and you know, literally dehydrates them. Um, and, and it can be used as a barrier, but unfortunately, you know, if it's a garden, you're watering periodically, and Mother Nature's been a little more kindly with rains lately, or even a heavy <laughs> dew. Um, if you're going to put out DE, I'd, I'd try to protect it from the rainfall, because like I say, once it's wet, it's, it's not going to do the job. Well, I have a heavy dew out there every morning when I go out there. Yep. Everything's soaking wet. And just oh, yeah. Well, and I didn't know how it would work. Mixed in with the, the mulch, you know, if it would just sink down and become ineffective, yeah. maybe walking over. Well, I hate to say it, but, you know, drier days are coming, <laughs> much as we wish they weren't. But, uh, yeah. well, uh, so it might not be. Water, yeah, and, uh, but I suspect it's going to take a while to get rid of this problem. So if we get into the, the drier, lower humidity uh, weather, yeah, your DE will sure work anywhere you can get it on the ants. Okay. All right, one other thing. Um, back when I planted the broccoli and cauliflower, I bought some asparagus plants and uh -huh. laid them off to the side in the bed next door when I was planting the broccoli, cauliflower, and cabbage, and they got covered up, and they've been sitting there for three weeks or whatever. Uh, uh -huh. And all they were covered up with was a, uh, a leaf bag. Uh, uh -huh. So a little bit of insulation, but not a lot. Uh, are those going to be worthless after that freeze and then sitting there for another they're, they're three weeks? Probably, they're probably just fine. Feel the roots of the asparagus. You've got a crown, and then you've got the roots going down from it. Mm -hmm. If the roots feel solid, um, then the crowns are almost certainly good. If they're real spongy, right. if they just collapse when you squeeze on them, may not be. But um, they, I, I'd be very surprised if they're not perfectly good. Great. Well, they feel feel fine. I just yeah. I didn't know if the freeze would have killed it. All right. That's it, Bob. I appreciate it. Plant them today. It's going to be a beautiful day for it, John, and uh, it it's is. good to talk to you. Uh, Rosa and Brenda, hang on. Uh, as soon as we get a break done, we'll be talking to you. Don, let's get a break out of the way and get back to phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, it's uh, time to get back to gardening here, and let's see. looks like Rosa is next in line. Good morning, Rosa. Good morning. Well, I Good. wanted to ask you about these bulbs. I found these bulbs, I don't know, a month ago or whatever. I didn't know what they were, so I went ahead and I planted them. Uh -huh. And it turned out to be gladiolas. Okay. And so now they're tall as a gladiola would be but now they froze down do i uh -huh. cut off all the leaves and will they come back 
Um, if the leaves are totally brown, yes, you might as well cut them off. If they have any green to them at all, I would leave it because any green that is there will certainly help them. And um, they probably will come back. But having having frozen back that first big spike, they may or not bloom. Uh, you know, gladiolus are, are warm weather. They're actually corms rather than bulbs. And uh, they're they're very, very much worth growing. But I, I would only cut back what looks bad. They may surprise you. Um, but if And if we get any more weather that's going to be down to where you might have heavy frost, do cover them. But um, I don't know. If you like gladiolus and if you want flowers this spring, I'd, I'd, I'd plant some more because I'm not sure these are going to be strong enough to bloom. But they will most likely survive, and it's possible, it's worth trying, that they'll bloom late spring or early summer. Well, you know that the leaves are all green, but they're all limpy looking. Well, give them some time. Um, I give them at least two weeks before you say uh, that, you know they're really badly damaged. Uh, chances are they're gonna they're gonna be a little droopy in the wind and all, but uh, give them give them till Valentine's Day at least. If they don't look good by then, uh, then you probably might as well cut them way back. Okay, cut them all the way back like to the ground. Yeah, cut cut off anything that is damaged, uh, anything that's browning. If they're just if they're just leaning over. Uh, you'll know in a couple. You'll know by Valentine's Day whether or not those leaves are, are dead or whether they're still providing support for the plant. Okie dokie. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And you do the same. And uh, find some more gladiolus bulbs and wait about. Oh, wait till about uh, the middle of March. Plant your gladiolus then, and you'll have some beautiful flowers. And you can even use for cut flowers before too long. And I appreciate the call. And next in line is going to be Brenda. Good morning, Brenda. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Um, is it too late to put compost on your lawn? Not at all. Not at all. We've got a probably, this is early February, we've probably got two months of uh, good time still left to do it. But the sooner the better. The sooner you do it, the more weed suppression you will get. Later on, you'll still uh, you'll still get a lot of benefit from it, but uh, if you get it on soon, it'll really cut down on the spring weeds you get. Okay, and if I'm putting it in my flower beds under my bushes, um, I put that underneath before I put mulch on. Would, that you that know, the, will, will you you. Oh, no, that won't hurt the bushes at all. Uh, you can either put it down and then put your mulch on top of it, or you can actually blend it in with the mulch. We take ordinary mulch when we turn it into what's called a living mulch by actually mixing some compost with it. So whatever works for you. If you want to put down compost first and then mulch on top of it, and I would definitely do it that way. I wouldn't put mulch on compost on top of mulch. I'd put mulch on top of compost. But if you'd rather just mix it up and put it on all in one process, that'll work very well, too. Okay, and I'm in the uh, Thousand Oaks 281 area in San Antonio. Uh -huh. Right. Where would you recommend if I ordered, like, um, yards of compost to have delivered without having the rocks and all the trash in it? I would probably try, um, used to be Stone and Soil Depot, now they're called Site 1, S-I-T-E, and I think that would be the closest area uh, Gardenville's still out there, but as far as I know, all they're making is biosolids compost, and that's not something I want to put in my yard because of the 
potential for, you know, various unpleasant things like pharmaceuticals and uh, pesticides and things like that in there. But uh, you can call them, ask them if they have any biosolids-free compost, and if they do, they're probably going to be your closest. But uh, realistically, it's probably going to be site one. Okay, and that's for uh, the compost and mulch that would yes. be good there? Yes. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Now, remember one other thing, too. Depending on the amount that you need and depending on how high quality of material you're looking for, uh, you're not very far from uh, the Bitters Road, uh, <laughs> what they call the brush dump. Uh, they give right. away free mulch, and uh, it's not as good quality as you're going to get from a regular supplier, but uh, the price is certainly right on it. And uh, you can make, if, if you need a large quantity of stuff, you can make pretty good compost or pretty good mulch. Uh, using that material and just mixing some compost with it. So if cost becomes an issue, uh, take a look at what they offer out there. So I, d I have gotten the free mulch there a couple times. Yeah. Would it be beneficial to put that, like, on the base and then put, like, the better mulch on top of it just to make no, it look if, better? If I, were, if I were doing that, I'd just blend it all up together. Okay. Okay. I might do that then. Very good. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. You enjoy this beautiful Sunday. And, uh, Don, let's try to squeeze Robin in here before the news break. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have two questions. Good morning okay. again. It's wonderful out there. Yes. Um, I have tried perlite, and I don't, I don't know if I'm doing it right. Um, it didn't work, and the things got moldy. Am I putting too much water with the perlite, or what? What, what is the? What are you trying? What are you trying to root? Uh, I believe I was trying to root. Oh my gosh! It was last spring, so I can't remember. Um, that's a good question. Shoot. Um, <laughs> okay. Now it's it, <laughs> it, it. It's hard to imagine. As long as you've got it in a container that drains, um, the perlite should be a fine medium. It if you have like mold or something forming, you may not have enough air circulation. Uh, you do want pretty good air circulation around your cuttings while you know while they're rooting. Um, in fact, you know our, one of our biggest growers, they've got a, a greenhouse that's you know probably a hundred feet by a hundred feet, and they're cutting benches. You just got constant air movement. They've got the little misters above them. Uh, that go off 10, 15 times a day. So it's not usually a matter of uh, too much water. It's usually a matter of just not enough air circulation. Okay, well, I was putting them in a jar, and that's, no, that's the reason. No, I'd, no I'd, I'd very definitely have them in open air. Okay, uh, but I need, a, like, a tiny potting cup with the holes in the bottom. Sure, yeah, as long as it's draining, yep. that's fine. That's what I need to do. Yeah, yes. okay, good. Second question, I have a Floribunda rose bush that's about oh five and a half feet tall mm -hmm. and about four feet wide now how yeah. how much do i cut it back um if it's a grafted rose we can cut it back as much as two-thirds if you want a big bush you don't have to go that far i'd cut it back at least a third and a professional grower would probably cut it back by two-thirds okay i'll do the third i think yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Have a you wonderful day. You are certainly day. welcome, and you do the same. Thank you. All right. Just a few seconds till news time here. There's some lines open. Grab one if you want to be up shortly after the news. 
Oh, so many things to talk about on an absolutely beautiful morning here on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It looks like we're going to talk to E.T., Richard and James, and uh, I guess Robin ran off to church. I hope we get to talk to you later. Uh, right now, E.T., you're up first. Uh, morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. How about yourself? Oh, well, I'm still kicking, so I'm doing quite all right. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not in the way. <laughs> okay, uh, last week you talked about potatoes. Yes, sir. Uh, and if I didn't harvest some last year, you know, from with the drought and all that, Will the potatoes that are still in the ground, will they sprout? Not likely. Um, over a cold winter, this has been a dry winter. Uh, sweet potatoes, yes, probably some of those tubers will come back up. But I would be very surprised if any of uh, your, your standard baking potatoes, Yukon Gold, any of those, it would be surprising. Not absolutely out of the question, but after, after the weather we've had over the past uh, 8 to 10 months, I'd, I'd be surprised if they came up, E.T. But they're cheap. Get some fresh ones and plant them. Okay. And uh, peppers and uh, tomatoes. Uh, is it okay just to cut everything at ground level and still leave the roots in the ground? Oh, sure. Yeah, there's no problem at all with that. Uh, actually, probably adds a little bit of organic material. Be sure, you know, that you, your soil's still loose enough that you can put your new plants in. Cause it's it's going to be time <laughs> before you know it. But, uh, no, I think that actually adds some organic material. And, uh, uh, you know, unless you've been fighting some serious pest problem, uh, I'd just snap them off at ground level or cut them off at ground level and not worry about trying to, trying to pull them up and loosen some soil along with the top. And uh, if I plant tomato, potato transplants, I mean, yeah, tomato, but tomato transplants, what's that product you said to dig a hole and throw a little bit in the hole? Um, I, what I would always do is put some rock phosphate in the bottom of the hole. And, of course, tomatoes, and, and I think you're awful early to be thinking about putting those in the ground. You can put them into a little bit bigger pot because uh, the nurseries are starting to get them. But um, remember that... that Tomatoes and only tomatoes can be planted deeper in the ground. You can dig the hole a little deeper, but always put your layer of rock phosphate in. Put your tomatoes in. Now, any of the leaves that might be below the level of the soil, pinch those off. But a tomato plant will form roots all the way up and down the stem, so that's one plant you can plant a little bit deeper. Okay, is that rock phosphate the same thing as Epsom salt? No. No, rock phosphate no. is a very finely powdered material that doesn't work if it's blended into the soil. That's why we have to put a layer of it and just plant the tomato plant right on top of it. Epsom salts or magnesium sulfate, they stop uh, a problem we sometimes get called blossom end rot. It's not a disease. It's a micronutrient imbalance. Calcium and magnesium get out of balance, and you just get a big black spot on the bottom of the tomato that just shrivels up. Uh, you can either just sprinkle a handful of Epsom salts on top of the soil after you plant, not before or while you're planting, but after you finish planting, uh, you can either just sprinkle some Epsom salts around, or you can put about two tablespoons of Epsom salts per gallon of water and just water your plants in with it, and that will carry you through the whole season uh, to keep the blossom end rot away. Okay. And um, like I, I think I mentioned before at one time that I had a, a gallon bucket or a five-gallon bucket full of um, cow droppings, you know, cow patties. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. And you said it might have that uh, perclin or whatever you call it. Yeah, picloram, yes, sir. Okay, will that take care of alcohol reed, weed? Um. Yeah, well, I wouldn't use it for Velcro weed because uh, if it, you know, it, it it sticks around. Yeah, it, it'll kill Velcro weed, but it'll kill just about everything else other than grass. Velcro weed, I just mix up a little bit of vinegar and orange oil, and that'll lock that stuff down, you know, in 20 minutes. Yeah, because I got a book, and I ain't exactly sure. I threw down some stuff, and I think I killed everything, so... My best bet probably just throw it out in the grass then. Well, yeah, in grassy area and not around tree roots either, but just in an area of, of lawn grass, that would be the best place to put that stuff because it won't affect grasses, but it will affect uh, any broadleaf plant. Okay, and i got a strange question for you, Bob. Does moss really grow only on the north side of trees? <laughs> it grows thickest on the north side, but it doesn't grow only on the north side. But uh, it, it seems to grow more thickly on in that direction. But uh, uh, I carry a compass. I wouldn't rely on that to keep me safe in the woods. Nowadays, everybody uses GPS, but uh, compass doesn't have any batteries, so I still know how to use a compass. And, but I, I wouldn't rely on telling north by that direction, but uh, it definitely grows thicker on that side of a uh, rock or a tree or anything else. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you very much. Uh, you have a great day. You do the same, E.T. It's always good to hear from you. Next in line is Richard. Good morning, Richard. How you doing, Bob? Good. How about yourself? Not too bad. Uh, when will you have tomato plants in your nursery? Yesterday and day before. We're starting to get them. I was looking earlier uh, and saw, I think we, we've got celebrities and it might, and probably some sweet 100s. Uh, the numbers, the varieties will be more and more every week, but I think most nurseries probably get a a pretty good shipment in this week, but uh, I looked last thing yesterday afternoon, and we've already got some out there, and they're real nice plants. I have nothing but praise for your plants. I bought some from you last year, and I gave <laughs> away more produce. Gave well, more produce out of four plants that I used. Uh, we, we spend a little more money. We've developed some good sources over the years, and... Uh, you know, quality quality does count, and like I say, we've we've researched long and hard to find the best, and we pay a little bit more for it. But I'm sure glad it worked out for you. I love to hear people that get to brag about their gardens. Last year was a tough year for most vegetable gardeners, so uh, if you did well last year, you get a gold star. Here's my my main question: I I garden in a container called Earth Box, and what I usually mm-hmm. do is yeah. dump the previous season, break up the soil and what's left of the root. Am, am uh-huh. I wasting soil and time, or can I plant in the same box over and over again? Oh, you can plant in the same box over and over again, uh, as long as but you're I'm using the soil. Yeah, it's you don't need to replace the soil. Soil gets better over time instead of worse, uh, providing you're using a good soil that uh, doesn't have too much peat moss in it. But uh, soil doesn't wear out. Uh, it may get to the point that you have so many roots that you want to take that soil out and, you know, put it around the compost pile or something and break it up for a season. But uh, uh, you're spending a lot of extra money if, you, if you're if you trying to replace the soil every year. Maybe every third or fourth year it'll get so uh, saturated with roots you might want to put more in, but uh, certainly good for a few years. All right. Thank you much. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead. I think we've got time before we take a break. Talk to James. Good morning, James. Hello, James. 
I think James might be listening to the telephone, not the radio. Okay. Yeah, put him on hold, and let's go ahead and uh, get that break out of the way, and we'll talk to him as soon as we come back. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Man, that sunshine's pretty out there. A little windy. I think it's supposed to stay pretty windy today, but don't let that stop you. It's uh, it's it's early spring in my book. <laughs> we may still get some chilly weather, but uh, golly, this is just uh, looking better and better all the time. Uh, looks like it's going to be Gloria and Shirley and Kay. Gloria is first in line. Good morning. Hi, Mr. Webster. Weber. Oh, that was my father. I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how. <laughs> What's going okay, on today? Real quick, uh, is can we can we trim the plants? Dead branches, oliveras. Um, are we talking things in pots? Or are we talking the shrubs in the yard? We are talking about plants in pots. Okay. If you need to trim, you certainly can. The days are getting longer, uh, so the plants are going to put out stronger growth. Now, some things like aloe vera don't really lend themselves to pruning. Sometimes we just need to, you know, dig them, separate them, replant them. But yeah, it's, it's, we're getting into a season again with the weather getting warmer, with the days getting longer. Now's a good time to be repotting if you need to, dividing if you need to, trimming if you need to. Those are all things we can start doing. Okay. I have a philodendron plant that I inherited from my mom. Okay. And it survived that snowstorm we had. Mm-hmm. Um, also, right now, it's got a lot of dead leaves on it. Uh-huh. Uh, can I go ahead and trim that one also? Now that's on the ground. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Trim off any leaves that are, you know, brown or shriveled or, or limp. Um, yes, that, that's called philodendron siloam. And, uh, they don't like it really cold, but, uh, they, they will survive. They will come back out. Probably has those big old roots going every which direction, but, uh, feel free to cut off any, any damaged leaves. It's certainly time to do that. And the bougainvilleas. Bougainvilleas, if you can tell, did they freeze back? Um, t- yes, they, they are. They are brown, but I really haven't checked the stem to see if there's any green in it. Yeah, I'd I'd cut them down to about twelve inches tall. They almost certainly will come back. But most of what you're seeing up toward the top did freeze completely as cold as it got. So I cut it down to about 12 inches. I wouldn't cut it all the way down to the ground. But go ahead and get the majority of the top off. It'll be a lot easier to do now than it would after the new growth starts because uh, they are a bit armed. They will happily poke you given the chance. And that's just a whole lot easier to do when you're not trying to work around a bunch of nice new green growth. So uh, I, I'd cut them back to about 12 inches. Okay, and then a couple of more questions. I have a rose bush, and I know you were talking about that earlier, but uh-huh. I'm sorry, I was on the phone with someone else, <laughs> and I missed that. Can I? It it stands for it is it is planted in like a pottery area we have, uh-huh. and it stands about four feet tall. Okay, do you know if it's a climbing rose or a bush rose? It's a bush. 
Yes, if you want to trim it. Purple roses. Oh, it sounds pretty. Um, if if it needs, you know, if if you want to trim it back uh, now, it is fine to do so. You can trim it back by as much as two thirds. I'd probably trim it at least one third. We always say around Valentine's Day, but you know that's barely a week away. So I think you're fine to, with the weather being as bright and warm as it is. I think you're fine to go ahead and prune your roses, your bush roses, okay. not your climbers, but your bushes like that. Okay, and then one more question. Uh, we bought a. I don't know what it is. It's a, it's a hard. My husband's calling it a hardwood bush with red flowers on the tips in the valley. Okay. Um, I don't. Uh, it's it just grew so fast. It was small and it grew to about three or four feet tall. Okay. And it has these. It produces these real pretty little red tips at the end. They're like little red flower tips. Okay. Um, are they single flowers? Or are they in a cluster? Mm, they're in a cluster. Okay. Um, and I don't know how up close and personal you've gotten with this plant, but have you ever noticed on the back of the leaves, does it have some little spines, kind of like a cat claw that, that kind of points inward, that if you're not careful getting your hand out, um, it'll scratch you? Yes. Okay. That plant is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That that plant properly is called erythrina. Nobody wants to remember that. More common names are uh, fireman's cap. Uh, that's probably the single most common name, and uh, you'll see them all over the valley. They grow here. I had one even in Bernie for many years, uh, and uh, they they will freeze back in the winter months. But especially if they're mulched on the base, they come back out. They grow tall. They're they're absolutely gorgeous when they're in bloom. But it'll yeah, it does form that kind of big kind of arching cluster of flowers, and they can bloom off and on through the summer months. So yeah, call call it fireman's cap. Uh, Oh, that's 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 the easier name. If you want to look it up, uh, it's Erythrina, E-R-Y-T-H-R-I-N-A, Erythrina Christigalli, I think. Uh, and down in the coastal areas, down toward the valley where it doesn't freeze, they can make very large plants. Okay, we'll look that up then. We just wanted uh, to know if uh, we should trim that or how do we do that one. You can trim it if you like, and if you have any of it that's been frozen, yeah, I would definitely trim it back. Very much like you do your bougainvilleas or esperanzas, uh, things like that. But don't cut it too far down. I'd, I'd cut that one down maybe to somewhere between 18 and 24 inches. And, uh, yeah, you've got a you've got a pretty plant there. Next year, uh, try to cover it if you can, and uh, you'll have even more flowers even earlier in the year. Yeah, we did cover them, but uh, I guess our covers... We probably need to double cover or something, but we'll figure that out. <laughs> yeah, and always for covers, always be sure you're using a white material. There's a lot of a green material sold. I think they call it Planket, and uh, I've talked to Howard Garrett. Everybody I know that's tried it, the stuff underneath it froze. The whiter uh, coverings seem to protect the plants much better. Okay. All right. Well, we'll keep that in mind, and I appreciate your time, sir. And I appreciate your call this morning. You have a wonderful Sunday, Gloria. And thank you. Ah, uh, uh, next in line, I believe, is Shirley. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. Uh, I Good. have two quick quick questions. I hope. Okay. I, I was some beautiful poinsettias. Uh huh. And I put them on my sun porch, which is not 
cold proof, but I covered them with several layers of uh, stuff, but they still look ugly and froze. Can I just cut the tops off, and hopefully those greens will come back, even if they don't flower in the thing? They're pretty plants. Are they? Uh, are the stems still green? Yes, yes. Oh, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Just cut off any of the part that's frozen. Uh, give them lots of sunlight. It would be impossible, yep. really, to give them too much sun. Keep in mind that the thing that makes poinsettias bloom um, is long nights and short days. They have a yeah. chemical way of measuring uh, how long the daylight is. And a lot of some people actually plant them out in the yard. Uh, but if you oh, do yeah. that, be sure you're not planting them near a porch light or even a really bright street light. Because uh, if you do that, they're going to think it's July when they should be thinking it's December. If you're keeping it yeah. in a pot where you can move it around. But, uh, yeah, you should have, you know, they'll, they'll be three, four feet tall by fall and uh you should have beautiful flowering just like you say as long as you let them get the normal day night cycle uh grow them fertilize them regularly treat them like you would any house plant and uh you'd be amazed how big they are by the end of the summer yeah i grew up in the valley and we had a point of city <laughs> four and five feet tall you know in oh the yeah yard. yeah there's there's a church over around the corner from dr herbie's clinic that uh uh, they're like four or five feet tall. Some years they freeze down before they get a chance to really show off, and other years it's just a beautiful source of color. So, yeah, if you've, yes. if you've grown them in the valley, you know all about how to grow them. So just cut off the part that's damaged. The base is going to come out beautifully for you. Yeah, well, I'll go out and when it warms up a little bit, I'll go out and cut the top off. Okay, the second question, I was given a an orchid. Uh, for Christmas, I don't even know who they brought it and left it on my step. Uh, <laughs> I brought it in, mm-hmm. and I d- it's a coincidence, but now I don't know whether it was. I've heard people talk about flies, not flies, but bugs that come out of the uh, uh, stuff they're growing in. Uh-huh. It's not flies, but little bugs. And about the same time. I found that I have a sore neck. That's the word mm-hmm. I'm trying to come up with. Right. Is that a coincidence, or do you think those that orchid brought them in? Uh, probably a coincidence, but you certainly okay. could have gnats. Probably not the sewer gnats, because they oh, really yeah, reproduce yeah. in water. But don't go pay an exterminator or anything on, uh, you know, on those. Uh, on, your kitchen sink is where they usually occur. There's, yes. you know, that little U-shaped thing under the sink called a P-trap. And yes. just when you get through doing your dishes and you're not going to be turning the water on for a couple of hours, just take a little bit of orange oil. Put a maybe a tablespoon of orange oil down the sink. That will wipe those things out completely. I told a lady about that recently, and she came back a week later and said, that tablespoon of orange oil did more than $200 that I gave to the plumber did. So that's the way you will get rid of the sewer gnats in your sink. If you have the fungus gnats coming out of the orchid pots, um, there is a natural product that's called BTI, stands for Bacillus thuringiensis israeliensis. You can get that in either granular form or as what they call mosquito dunks. It's what we use to control mosquito larvae. But they also can, it also controls fungus gnat larvae. So you can take uh, your watering can or a pitcher or whatever and soak a little bit of that material in there. 
Then use that to water your orchids, and uh, it won't happen overnight because it kills the larvae, not the adults. But that'll totally wipe out the fungus gnats in your in your pot, and you'll be rid of those too. Well, I'll try that orange oil. I put Clorox. I put everything vinegar. I put yeah. everything down, and nothing has really worked. Orange uh, oil will do the job. Yeah, do your sink, do your washing machine drain. Um, anywhere that you, you know, they have to have, you have to have that little trap that holds water. That keeps, uh, that's what keeps sewer gases from coming back into the house. But anywhere you've got that little loop that holds water, you know, a teaspoon or two of orange oil in there will work wonders getting rid of the fungus gnats or the sewer gnats. I have some. I'll put it in right now. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You're sure welcome, Shirley. Have a wonderful Sunday and thank you. Okay. Goodbye. All right, uh, Don, guess we better get a break out of the way, and then Kay will be up next. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Kay and then Cindy. Good morning, Kay. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question about sweet potatoes. Okay. I've never planted sweet potatoes, and I don't. I've gone online. If you want to get a lot of misinformation, go online. <laughs> it'll, it'll drive you completely out of your mind. You'll you'll just go, oh well. Yeah. So I'm asking you where to get the best sweet potatoes because you mentioned that in the grocery store they with the with the whatever they spray them with mm-hmm. could inhibit the growth. So I'm asking. Yeah, that's that's more that's more in your baking potatoes than it is in sweet potatoes. But sweet potatoes, we don't plant those yet. I mean, it's getting pretty close to time to plant your regular potatoes. But sweet potatoes are a uh, they're a hot weather plant. We generally think about planting those in May. And uh, so you've got a little bit of time. You want to start looking for what you're going to use for your mother plants uh, sometime Oh, sometime around Easter, sometime uh, early April, something like that. Typically, going to somewhere like Natural Grocers, um, they have pretty usually clean and organic material. A few of the bigger nurseries, especially places like Fanix, they will not only have the sweet potatoes, but they already have the little pre-rooted cuttings. You know, if you want to you know if if you want if you want them already up and started if you want to have the fun of doing it yourself then uh you can get them somewhere like that or like i say natural grocers i wish i could say whole foods but since amazon bought them they're just not nearly as organic as they used to be but uh anywhere that anywhere that offers an organic sweet potato um you can certainly use those and while the information is probably bad on the internet uh, there are probably sources that you could actually find a wider variety. There are lots of different kinds of sweet potatoes. Uh, to me, they're all very similar in taste, but you know, some of the some of the specialists and connoisseurs will tell you one's better than another. But uh, just for a place that you can run out this afternoon, or you know, at the appropriate time, probably somewhere like Natural Grocers would be the place that I would go looking for them. Got it. One question about one plant that I planted uh, last year has never bloomed. It's a pomegranate, uh-huh. and it's grown about four foot tall. It was leafed, and it had the thorns on it and whatever, and it bushed out a little bit, but it never blo- It never did any blooming. And it, of course, I'm sure, froze. the top froze back. 
if I cut it back, will it come back? Do you think? I mean, I know you don't know, but would you think it would come back maybe? I I wouldn't, you know, be too anxious to cut it back. Pomegranates typically drop most of their leaves during the winter anyway. So it may have just yeah. been doing its normal thing and uh, and going back. Did did you get a varietal name on the pomegranate when you planted it? Uh, no, of course not. Okay. Oh, got okay. it from somebody I know, and I don't know, you know, it was grown out here. I think it was grown out here. I live in Lee County, so it was grown uh-huh. out in this area. We're limited well, on our, our nurseries out here. so. Oh, I know, and that's it's a shame. But the majority... <laughs> Yeah, the majority of the pomegranates sold are ornamental pomegranates. And while they might produce a fruit here, fruit there, they're grown far more for their flowers than they are for the pomegranates. Uh, the, the best one, and it's probably been around for 50 years, uh, but they're, the variety you want to look for if you're out buying one is a variety called Wonderful. And like I say, it's been around forever, but it is still an excellent one. There's some newer, fancier varieties, and I've never, you know, I've had more trouble with them than I had the old Wonderful. But it could be that what you have is an ornamental variety, and it's going to give you pretty orange flowers, but it's never going to set any fruit. If you actually want to grow um, pomegranates, next time you're forced against your better judgment to go to the big city for something, you can probably find uh, Wonderful, which is the one you want to plant if you actually want to harvest uh, harvest pomegranates. But they make a big plant. They're going to grow probably 8, 10, even 12 feet tall. Want a real sunny spot. They're always going to grow as a big bush rather than a tree. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I would wait and see. Uh, if your pomegranate starts coming out only from the base, then go ahead and cut it back. But I suspect it's going to come out at least halfway up the stems once the soil and the air warm up. And uh, it's probably worth keeping just to see, but uh, it's probably not your fault if it doesn't produce pomegranates. It may very well be just an ornamental variety. Okay, uh, we'll watch it. I appreciate your help, Bob. Thanks as usual, and thanks for being there for us. Well, it's always my pleasure to do so, and uh, I look forward to our next visit. And uh, I think next in line is Cindy. Good morning, Cindy. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning. I got I I got some vincas um off of the uh about to be thrown away pile. Okay. And they were gorgeous <laughs> and I thought they would be dead by now, but they're still alive. Okay. What what, what should I be doing with them? Uh trying to keep them from freezing and Okay. When you water Try to keep the water off the leaves. You want to uh, uh, you want to lay the hose on the ground to water them. Phytophthora is a disease that kills a huge number of vincas every year, and it's usually when people plant them too early in the season and when the foliage gets water on it is when this happens most often. Uh, it's really quite amazing <laughs> that yours have survived so far but um and and do cover them lightly you know if we're going to have frost but in the meantime uh just when you water just try to keep the water off the foliage if you want to give them another layer of protection mix up a little bit of what we call corn water tea take some whole ground cornmeal and soak it overnight in water and then use that liquid to spray the foliage that will make them more resistant to the fungus and um Go ahead and fertilize them, you know, mix up some has to grow or something like that. Keep them on the dry side. Uh, Vincas, many people kill them with kindness, keeping them too wet. So 
Let them get good and dry on the surface of the soil before you water. And um, chances are, you know, they may very well survive and give you flowers again this year. They're going to be a little rangier. They're not going to be quite as compact. But, man, any vinca that's, uh, that's come through this winter deserves a chance to live and bloom for you. Well, I, I brought them in for the freeze, and they're in Oh, pot. well, okay, then all the better. Just But the same yeah. thing, you know, the same thing applies. Give them all the sunlight you can. Keep them as warm as you can. And when you water, try to just water the soil, not the plant itself. Well, should I bring them in out of the rain in case it rains again? Uh, probably a good idea because okay. in a lot of cases, the diseased spores are in the soil, and when they splash up on the leaves and stems, that's how it gets started. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, and, and I don't hear you saying anything about cut them back at all. That's up to you. I certainly wouldn't mm-hmm. cut them back at this point. Uh, I'd wait until, at least until it's time to put them in the ground, which is probably going to be the 1st of May sometime on along toward Mother's Day. And if you want to cut them back a little bit at that point, you certainly can. But cutting them back this early in the year would not be good for them. might wind up killing them. Okay. All right, well, thanks. That's, a, I know, a wrong time of year for these questions, but it is. Well, it's not, and you're my second gold star gardener for the day. If you pulled them through the winter and they still are healthy and happy, you're doing a very good job. Okay, my other question is just curiosity. Uh, uh, the, the grubs and the June bugs, we talked about, those, you talk about those a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not, it, the life cycle that I see on the Internet, is that, pretty accurate maybe and probably how, not what are those yeah what are those compared to these oak weevils um i'm not they even sure they have a grub, have a grub yeah. in, inside the nut but well, that doesn't bother the grass no every beetle in the world and there are over a hundred thousand different kinds of beetles mm-hmm. in fact uh, charles darwin all those years ago made the comment he said the good lord must have had an inordinate fondness of beetles because he made so many of them Um, they're all the beetles out there have a grub as a larval state Um, Mm -hmm. many of them are totally you know they they only live on decaying vegetative matter and they're no problem whatsoever the larval state of what we call the june bug uh, or june beetle that's the one that does so much damage to our grass roots uh, the larval stage of the big old rhinoceros beetle goes after the roots of sago palms and true palms and can do a fair amount of damage. And there, there are lots of damaging grubs out there. And their life cycle, you know, if you were to look up almost any different type of beetle that you want to, you can probably read about them. But anything that they tell you about control on the Internet, is, other than Howard Garrett's DirtDoctor.com website, is mm-hmm. probably not accurate because uh you know it's it's so seasonal the grubs come out at a totally different time of year uh or the june bugs come out at a different time of year in the valley than they do in san antonio than they do in north texas and the secret is to get your beneficial nematodes out about the time you start seeing the june bugs because that's when they're laying their eggs and those big old grub worms that you dig up periodically in the grass uh they're not doing any damage the the for what we call the first and second larval instars, which is the tiny little grubs when they first hatch from the eggs, those are the ones that are devastating to your grass roots. So there's a lot to know about grubs in, uh, you know, <laughs> a person could spend their life uh, 
studying the coleopterans, as they're properly called, but I can't think of a more boring pursuit. But you you uh, you, you can't lump them together too much. The the grubs that you the grub is like I say, it's a larval state of every beetle out there. And some of them are problems, some of them aren't. If you have questions about any specific ones, you can look those up or you can call me. I'm always happy to talk about them. Mm-hmm. But that's why you tell us to uh, put the nematodes out when we see the June bugs. That's exactly right, because it's the it's the freshly hatched grubs that are tiny little things, maybe uh, at most a quarter of an inch long. Uh, those are the ones that are doing all the damage. The big ones that you see later in the season, it's good to get rid of them because you're knocking out some of the next generation, but uh, they're not the ones that you're worried about tearing up your grass. No, and, and as far and there's just no relationship between those little white worms and the in the acorns. Uh, well, they're in the same family of insects, family. Mm-hmm. but uh, okay. they're uh, they're very distant cousins. I guess would be the best way to put it. <laughs> Okay. Just just like an ostrich is related to a hummingbird, but they're a long way apart on what we call the phylogenetic chart. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So um, the only other thing I would talk about are uh, beauty berries. Uh-huh. I've got two, one right beside each other, and the color is slightly different. One is a darker purple. One is a lighter purple. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, one one seems to send out runners to start a new plant. That's unusual. Most of them, uh, you have plants sprouting from the berries. Uh, uh, there's also mm-hmm. a pure white one. There's a pink one, a purple one, and a pure white one. Um, they're native Texas plants. They are good, hardy plants. They grow wild on my ranch, as a matter of fact. But uh, mm-hmm. to me, they're very worthwhile. They They're quite showy. They bloom spring and early summer with a real funny, almost a fuzzy-looking little cluster of pink flowers. Then they have green berries through the summer. In the fall, they start turning color. The leaves drop off, and they're just relatively, you know, spectacular. They're moderately deer-proof. Uh, they do pretty well in bright shade. Uh, American Beauty Berries, a, a really neat plant to have. It, it, I, I agree. I completely agree. And then it brings in birds to eat the berries. Exactly. Yep. Oh, yeah. All righty. Well, that's all that's on my mind today. Well, then uh, you get out and have a great Sunday, and call me next time. Uh, you've got one of those interesting questions, Cindy. Always happy to talk to uh, you. Thanks, Thank Mom. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. All right, Don, let's go ahead and get our last break of the show done, and um, look forward to what that might bring, and then we'll have time probably for a couple of phone calls after that. A little fun in the sun. You don't know what you'd be missing. That's right. Let's go fishing. The sun's down, so you know we're on a mission. Call up my boys, let them know we're going fishing. Hell yeah, you know we're going fishing. Hell yeah, you know we're going fishing. The sun's down, so you know we're on a mission. Call up my boys, let them know we're going fishing. Hell yeah, you know we're going fishing. So you know we're getting ready Loading up the ice and the beers and the Yeti Loading up the truck, can't forget about the boat Got the fishing poles with me, now we ready, let's go Calling all the buddies, let them know we on the way Tell them where to meet us, we meeting at Baffin Bay But before we head out, we got one more stop Roy's Bait and Tackle Shop Oh yeah, we bout to have a good time In the water as we cast our line 
<laughs> Don, I do not know how you do it. Uh, we, we, we got our own rap fishing song now, so. <laughs> but it's it's close to home. It's uh, talking about talking about that good land just south of us. But anyway, if you don't know, the last break of the show on Sundays when Mr. Don Cooper Stevens is my engineer, we we get a wide variety of fishing songs, and uh, that's another good one. But as it is, we have a little time left to take a couple of gardening questions, and I know Carlos just called in, so good morning, Carlos. Morning. How are you? Good. I'm doing well, sir. Wish I was fishing, but uh, maybe maybe next time. <laughs> yes, I was wondering what, what I could use to deter deer from my garden. A seven-foot fence. You know, it um, the the deer repellents. I swear the deer can, um, you know, they they can read a calendar. There are some pretty good repellents out there. Uh, there's one called Liquid Fence. It stinks like mad, and it lasts for 30 days. And I mean, if you don't get out and spray again 29 days later, uh, the deer will walk right back in and eat things. But realistically, uh, the only sure way keep the deer out especially when they're hungry last year they were or last summer they were so hungry that they were just ignoring the repellents and coming in and eating things but um how how big is your garden um probably 40 by 80 yeah so you got a pretty big garden you might call you might go on the uh, parks and wildlife department website they have a a, it's a three-wire design they do with electric wires where they are sort of offset that they are saying they have pretty good luck keeping deer out without making a real high barrier type of fence. But, uh, you know, I, I, we just we have so many deer, way, way too many deer. I had a biologist tell me one time the healthy carrying capacity of the, of the hill country is something like 600,000 deer. And supposedly we have about 12 million these days. So um, just, I mean, you can sometimes repel them with blood meal. You can sometimes repel them with a real hot pepper spray. Uh, I've heard of people hanging little bars of ivory soap around, and the deer don't like that. But if the deer are hungry enough, they'll they'll go past all that. And uh, um, my garden's not quite as big as yours. It's probably more like 30 by 50, and uh, I just put... You know, net wire fencing about seven feet up, and that keeps them out a hundred percent. But if you if you want to go with something lower, um, and I haven't tried it yet, but Parks and Wildlife does have a lower uh, three wire electric fence system. And electric fence is easy these days; it's not pulling you know a stiff wire anymore. They actually have uh, looks more like polypropylene rope that has little copper fibers, uh, copper wires through it, and uh, it'll give you a good shock. And so uh, it's a lot easier to install some electric fencing than it once was. But uh, I wish I could give you a better answer. But the deer are a real issue. And I wish I could say just the hill country. But they've got them in Elm Creek. They've got them in, you know, Timberwood Park. They've got a huge number of them in Fair Oaks. And, uh, you know, here in San Antonio, they're just, unfortunately, uh, they're, they're in the city as well as out in the country now. And they're, they're ravenous little things. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, that's the thing that's the best idea is this uh, physical barrier. So thank yep. you very much. 
Well, and I, I, you know, I wish I could tell you something better. And if we find something that really works, uh, I'll be the first to let you know. Um, the best one on the market, if you want to try um, a spray-on, is by a company that is called I Must Garden. Kind of a funny name, you know, for a company. But uh, they make a deer repellent that, uh, again, has at least some good results at keeping them away. But uh it's just it's so frustrating you know they'll stay away for 29 days but then on the 30th day when your tomatoes are just getting ripe or your broccoli's just getting ready or whatever they'll come right in and eat it all for you so uh work again that physical barrier up and that's that's going to be the best suggestion i can give you all right i appreciate it thank you well i appreciate the call thank you so much um don we don't have anybody else on hold right now You've got Mike on hold. Well, let's just talk to Mike then. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. I don't Hello. have a lot, little wind out here, but uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, do you have anything in the future about uh, having your Saturday morning uh, get-togethers over at Shades Green? We've been talking about that. I think we can probably, you know, the city has, uh, they just shut us down when COVID came along. And uh, just pretty much banned any kind of gatherings is why is why we quit doing them because they flat wouldn't let us. Um, we're talking about it. It's probably not going to be in the super busy spring season just because of uh, parking issues. But as we get on into uh, get on into the season, yeah, we're going to try to bring them back at least a limited seminar schedule. But I I don't have a date and I don't have. Uh, I don't have a, a topic list available yet, but uh, we're getting so many people asking for it, we're trying to find a way to get back to doing them. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I enjoyed them very much. Oh, as so did I. Get there. Yeah, they're a lot of fun to do and uh, just brings out a lot of really great people. So uh, uh, know that we're know that it's looking like it is going to be possible to get back to it, but uh, don't have a date yet or... or a subjects list yet but feel free to bill feel free to bring us your list of what you would like to hear about and we'll try to include it well thanks a lot i'll work on that to uh, give people something to think about and uh, maybe add to uh, i don't have much more i'm not doing a whole lot of gardening right now uh, waiting for spring i guess well, it's certainly time to get the soil ready in that garden, and uh, I've always found that the plants take off faster, grow bigger, more quickly if you put you know, a little compost, a little fertilizer, and things like that about 30 days before you plant. And 30 days from now, people are going to be knocking down the doors looking for more tomato plants. We're selling tomato plants already, but uh, um, it's that's one thing about getting into February. February is very much our transition month of moving from wintertime weather to uh, springtime weather so uh, we're all looking forward to it but uh, when you have the opportunity do do get out and get your soil ready well i tell you what uh, my garden uh, is about the size of yours i believe it's something like uh, 25 by 50 uh-huh. but i have to burn it it's a lot full of weeds uh-huh. and uh, when the when the weather's correct inducive to doing it i'm going to have to my burner out there and burn it all down get a lot of potash yeah <laughs> yeah you use, use a pair you use a pair burner to do that yes i do very good 
Well, it's a little too windy today, but sometime in the in the very near future, I hope you get it done because uh, it's you know, like I say, we're coming right up on the time to plant our spring vegetables, and uh, you can still plant broccoli, you can still plant cauliflower. I think you can probably still get in a crop of snow peas. There's anywhere that you have soil ready that you don't need to burn off. Um, there there are plenty of things to plant in the garden, so. Uh, Take advantage of the sunshine and get outside and enjoy whatever you do. Well, I will. I've done real good with collard greens and beets and snow peas, and I'm looking forward to doing it again. (laughs) Very good. uh, I'm looking forward to the news here in another minute or so. Yeah, actually, in about 23 seconds, Dr. Kirby's sitting here right across from me right now, so it won't be long before we uh, are talking pets and uh, anybody that has questions about your pet's health dogs cats turtles rabbits gerbils chickens you name it that's what's coming up next uh and i appreciate you listening to me you've been listening to gardening right here on ktsa radio san antonio texas